This is going to be another episode of Summoning Insight. Now, you might have heard over the years when we talk about esports bet, as mentioned, DJT, which is now an outmoded term because, of course, it's not called DJ Esports, is it? So it probably confused you why it was called the like <laughs> DJ Talking or whatever. But they now have rebranded it. It's called ESC, obviously, Esports Bets. This is the, like, their coin now. And essentially, it works in a similar way. You use it to make free bets. You can get it during promotions. You can convert into USDT and other cryptocurrencies. Check out the website for more details, esportsbet.io. But currently, as a promotion for the rebrand they are offering a bunch of different ways you can earn esc which you can then make bets with and convert into other cryptocurrencies so for a limited time only sign up to the website you're using our description box link below and you can do the following three things you can join the esports bet discord which is discord.gg slash esports bet that'll get you ten thousand dsc you can follow esports bet on twitter which is just at esports bet that is worth five thousand dsc or you can follow a esportsbet.io on Instagram also for 5,000 ESC. What you do is if you've done any of those things, you just go to the esportsbet, could be the Discord, or you could go onto the website for customer support and you just tell them you did one of these things. They'll confirm as much, then they'll give you the tokens, which you can then participate in competitions and bets with. And if you want to participate, you can also do our match of the week and get extra ESC if you Counts win. Counts with ESC so, as well as other currencies, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So our match of the week here at LFN, I know you guys are used to us being right all the time, but we're right all the time on the match of the week. We have yet to actually predict incorrectly on the match that we select as the one you should be betting on every week. And uh, it's been obviously going really well. And if you place wagers on the match of the week, your first wager is eligible for up to a 10% bonus profit, if you get it correctly, up to $100 USDT or its equivalent in ESC or another cryptocurrency. So this week's match is going to be Team Liquid uh, in the LCS, their match up against uh, NRG. And we picked Team Liquid here. They've had Odds over 1.4, which for what I think is a very heavy favorite, is a pretty good return. Um, Team Liquid, obviously, against NRG, they we, we've seen we've seen a little bit of stumbling from Team Liquid towards the end of the season, but I still think they've upgraded the mid lane enough with APA, and they look a lot more aggressive and active as a team these days. Meanwhile, NRG. Yeah, they've had the one-off upsets, right? And sure, you know, they did take down Golden Guardians and Cloud9, and they tend to play up to the level of their opponents. But those are in best of ones, guys. And I think once Team Liquid has a full week to prepare for an opponent and we get into a best of five, it's highly unlikely that NRG is going to be able to win this series, especially as we've globally moved into more of a top lane carry meta, especially with Summits uh, continuing to perform this year. I think this is probably too much for energy, and you can get some pretty good odds there on Team Liquid. The only thing is, though, when I even think about some of these matchups, when I watch the LCS, mate, it's like I'm looking through, like, a wormhole into an alternate dimension. Why is the meta just always so good? Like, why are people playing, like, Ziggs in, in <laughs> fucking LCS? Like, what? So, I mean, they're this playing Ziggs in LPL, too. <laughs> I, I, think, I, think, uh, I think Ziggs is actually incredibly strong right now. Um, a lot of these, so for a few reasons, when we look at, uh, there's a, there's a shift towards more AD mid laners, and that means you have to get your AP from somewhere within your team composition. And so Ziggs has been a pretty good option for that. Uh, we've seen LNG use it quite a bit with Gala in the bot lane. 
And uh, obviously, like, it's more of a mid lane champion when we have it with APA because he's a specialist, but that doesn't mean that it can't potentially be flexed on this roster. However, when we've seen it be most effective, it's with a lot of these siege compositions. And the problem with Ziggs is you just can't leave him alone on the map because he will just start busting down turrets with satchel charges. And that provides massive gold infusions to the team. So I think what's interesting about Ziggs is he forces other teams to have more precise macro because you can't leave, leave him alone with turrets or turret plates for any length of time. Otherwise, you end up giving up hundreds or thousands of gold. And... Um, yeah, you can also make really unique kind of cross map plays. Like it's a lot easier to justify giving up a herald if you have a zig on your zigs on your team because you know you're going to get a comparable amount of cross map gold. So it really does open up a lot of m interesting macro strategies for good teams and has insane wave clear into the late game too. So you can stall out for forever basically. So unfortunately. Ziggs has always been one of those champions that's been incredibly annoying to have in pro play, but also very effective when it when it can be played. So tragically, here we are. Ziggs meta is effective. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is it is a little bit underwhelming, I have to say. Um, I was never a fan of any of the Ziggs metas that came along. I for me, the thing about LCS is that we are going to be watching LCS at the same time as these LPL playoffs, and these LPL playoffs have just been fucking bangers. Oh, all have you been bangers. watching any of these? Yeah. As I soon mean, as it got it, to the round where OMG and Weibo started playing, that's when I've been watching. Yeah, that's when I that's when I picked up as well, just because I didn't I admittedly didn't really care about the first round of competition. Um, and I have yet to see the BLG top esports games because it happened overnight for me. But other than that, I think people are realizing just how crazy stacked this league is. And credit to people like Dom and Cajol for bringing a lot more eyeballs to this region because I think, you know, there's a lot more hype around this year's summer playoffs than I've ever seen before. I mean, to me, the amazing thing is, like, as of right now, realistically, JDG and BLG might just be the two best teams in the world. I don't think that's even an unreasonable statement. <laughs> and then the other thing is, if you go and look, like the actual LPL, because it's so deep, is one of the best ones for this type of format where you have the regional afterwards. If you go and look for the regional, basically, even the ones that just got eliminated, Wayborn, EDG, they're there as well already. So, like, the even the regional is going to be mega stacked. It's like another mini playoff, basically. So, oh, there's going to be some amazing series, mate some fucking mega ones yeah and i i agree with your your assessment about blg and jdg it does feel like the teams that are the other two teams that are left which are fortunately for me lng because i love watching this roster play and top esports do have certain flaws within their play styles that make it so they are very unlikely to win this tournament so it does feel like there's a clear kind of tier one tier two stratification uh amongst the remaining teams. Uh, but I'm still excited to see it. I'm still excited to see it. I am very curious if LNG can kind of overcome. Because right now, I think the, the the tier list I would have would be like JDG 1, BLG 2, LNG 3, Top Esports 4. Uh, I think it's unfortunate that Top ran into a meta where they are, I mean, ironically, they, they are going to have to carry a lot through Top Lane. And they've never really resolved the issues of who plays top lane this year um, because they've, they've had such instability and it's really a bummer because 
Wayward was such an up-and-coming player last year and then collapsed at Worlds, didn't even exist in spring with Qingtian taking over. And, of course, people were hyped about all of the big, like, Darius plays. And, sure, he could play some more meta champions like Cassante quite well. But now he's just disappeared. Wayward is back. And he's just on fucking Orn duty, basically, and still getting clapped in the top lane. And that was a huge part of the series against EDG was his kind of inability to have a, a, a effect on game and top esports more or less having to rely on their bot lane and Jackie Love dumpstering Uzi in lane in order to create leads that were actually winnable. What's sad is both Rookie and Jackie Love are really good right now. Like they actually yes. just have games where they just pop off insanely. But like it's like you say, like you couldn't have been a worse set of games for fucking um, Wayward. He's gotten dumpstered now by fucking Arley into Bane back to back. Like he's just not good enough, unfortunately. So even though those two are mega, like Jackie Love is not the inter he used to be. The problem is both Wayward and Tian just have some like inexplicably bad games sometimes. Like they don't just like have a bad game, they just throw the game completely. Tian still does it, mate. He still has some criminal games. Yeah, I, and, and that's why I think like when you look at some of these LPL teams, as much as you want to believe in top esports, it is very difficult with the remaining teams to see how that's going to play out. Um, you know, just because I'm just going to Worlds, I'm all good. Just getting Worlds. That's all you need to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if in a different meta, it's possible they would, you know, ha certainly have a different effect. Um, I, I, I do think though, like, you know having top esports they're not going to be able to as even as good as as rookie and jackie love has been it's now that the rest of the competition is so cracked at those positions at adc and mid that they have to get the firepower out of the top and jungle as well and i just don't think they match up to you know any of the other top laners like zika on lng has also been performing really pretty well um i think above what we would normally expect from him uh, in these playoffs, and you then you have three six nine and Bin, and Wayward is just clearly the worst of all of these players, and I think a pretty massive liability. I mean, they're winning the LVL, so it's all good. Like I said, <laughs> they're just going to come like third or fourth, and then they're going to go to the regional, and then hopefully they get out of that. Yeah, you know, the Wayward performances really remind me a lot of what we saw from Evie in LEC, which is like now he just plays Redectin and Orn so that you can stabilize top lane. Because even though Evie's been playing better, I, I don't think this is really a factor of a massive improvement from him more than it is you have two jobs, one of which is to play Renekton and just on a kind of mechanically easy champion, push some level of, of automatic advantage that you have in that top lane because of the way his lane matchups work, or you play Orn, play relatively safely, show up for team fights, we scale into late game, and then you power up all of the other players on the team. And he's been doing good at, you know, having a more limited role. And I will say that is something that, you know, Peter Dunn in particular, like putting his players on pretty strict rails in game to play their role is something that's worked really effectively in the past. But it feels like Wayward is is more or less in that same category on top esports. But I think it's hard when we exist in a world of jacks and rumble carry tops for, you know, and Redekton for Wayward to be the kind of top laner that is necessary to win a title in this meta.
It's why the LPL is so unique. Like, they don't just have, like, good top lane. They have actual true carries. They have people you can just play through. And even though, like, if you go back in time a few years back, it was the opposite. You wanted bot lane to be ahead. I actually feel like if you look in the current time period, if someone is playing, like, something like Venecton and they're up, like, three kills from lane on top side, they are going to be a nightmare. Like, that is actually going to be an incredibly hard game. So, it's like you say, the problem is, the once you get down to the very end of the LPL, they all have studs in the top lane. That's why people like Wayward, the real problem in that team, is essentially it's like Jackie Love and Rookie have to like mega carry. If they can mega carry, if 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 Jackie Love can do like one, any of his fucking best like super all in ADCs, you have a chance. If Rookie can play Jace or something, you got a chance. But like that that gets you a win in a best of five. It doesn't win you the best of five though. Like I think right now the other problem that you can have with BLG and JDG is they just look so impossible to beat in a whole best of five. Like you can get a game off them, yeah, you can have a really amazing game, but you're not you're just not going to win three out of five times yeah i i think lng probably has slightly better odds um especially with zika playing as well as he is but i mean they they still have had games where they've had pretty strong leads and i don't think they have as good of late game control and team fighting and how do you you know I mean, certainly blg and and jdg do not have those faults so lng i think just tends to throw away advantages that they have uh on a more consistent basis or draft team compositions that make it very difficult for them to play out late game scenarios effectively oh they were definitely doing some weird shit in that like best of five series they played mate that, some of that was a little bit sus <laughs> towards the end they looked a little <laughs> bit nervous but that way yeah i you know i like i like lng when they have Maokai, I like them a lot. Uh, I think Tarzan is just such a phenomenal Maokai player. And they they run these poke compositions with like Jax and and Varus, um, where they they basically can just use Maokai ult as disengage to land a significant amount of poke before all hitting in a team fight. And I think that's really where they shine. When they don't have a very strong form of hard engage i think that's when lng can really suffer um they don't i don't think they have as complex team fighting chops as many of the other lpl teams do i think they need a go button and when they don't have it they look kind of crap by the way, they had a fucking hilarious tweet the other day on LOL Esports, because whoever runs that is still a complete fucking noob, of course. They did a poster where it was the previous two winners of Worlds, and it goes, who would win? EDG 2021 or DRX 2022? It's like, one, technically they played in 2022, but let's just ignore that. That wasn't a quarterfinal <laughs> matchup. And then two, spoiler, no one thinks DRX would beat anyone. I still don't even believe now. If I go back and watch that, they won. Like, they definitely didn't. They <laughs> certainly lost in the quarters, the <laughs> Means they're probably the final, right? So <laughs> it, it does the seem still laggy, surreal. No, the camera's a bit uh, laggy, isn't it? No, uh, it's okay. Whatever. We'll try to turn it on <laughs> off again. Is it back? There we go. I'm back. We're back. But basically, whoever runs that account, spoiler, everyone except maybe season two type assassins would beat DRX. I don't I don't care what anyone says. That is actually like don't you need to fucking debate that one to us? Like, he's the one of the worst teams ever. There's a I, I love I love how people, when we talk about things like this, get so defensive instead of just celebrating the fact that this very unlikely event could have ever even occurred. That's what makes it so unique and startling and worth discussing. 
it's it's it is kind of a diss, guys. But at the end of the day, they were the ones who won the world championship, and nobody's trying to take that away from them. But I do agree. Comparatively, it is such a it is such a crazy outlier, both in esports and any sports, that this would conceivably happen. Um, but here we are, living in DRX's world. Problem is, though, there's a type of person, Monty, who has been totally ruined by language. And I would just say, essentially, it's a way other types of humans, not like us, communicate as a way to reinforce like structures and norms, basically. Their problem is they do this thing where no one can ever take an L, Monty. So what happens is people do mad shit. Like, so in CSGO, the winners of the last major was Vitality, right? And because sure. the player, Dupree, already was tied for the most majors ever, because Magus wasn't on the first Australis. So he had four titles, which was already the most. And so when he won, he became the only player ever to pre to have five major titles. But the problem is, of the five players, he was probably the least important on the fifth title. Like his was like the equivalent to just being like the bench player when you win a ring in the NBA. Like it's not really the same as being at your prime, right? So because everyone found it really awkward, because for the first four titles, he was one of the best players, they couldn't just say, you know, any good, like, let's say, good contributing effort, you know, to win a, a last trick. They all had to say, like, mind fuck themselves openly and say stuff like, well, he actually had a big, he had a huge part to play in that. And so I even had to do whole videos. Like, well, no, by definition, there's a finite amount of parts anyone could have. And if we're just being very real, adding no by if you want to protect him, why you bring up parts. But he would, by definition, have the smallest part, wouldn't he? It might be big in the sense that, like, it's good to win a mate. You know what I mean? I did a whole thing, like, what are we even doing here? Like, someone, so in the same way, guess what? Yes, DRX won worlds. Congrats. They're the worst team to win worlds. Congrats. Like those two <laughs> things aren't even mutually exclusive. In fact, they go hand in hand. And, and uh for all you Europeans out there, we do not count Fnatic as winning the world oh, championship. So oh, yeah, we just throw that one out. They are, they Fnatic was so bad they don't even count. DRX at least counts. They had to beat the opponents that were in front of them. They did beat legitimate opponents. It was just uh, you know, interesting in the way they did it a lot of the time. <laughs> and uh they were patch zergs, as we've seen very thoroughly at this point in time. Yeah, I, I agree with your take though. It's the same shit that happens with the fans and faker these days. It's not enough to just say, wow, Faker is really playing a supportive role. And now we know that he was absolutely essential to the shot calling of these T1 teams. Look how brilliant he is in terms of his game knowledge that he was able to manipulate and control these other four players in order to reach the amazing heights that this team has reached. And shouldn't that be enough of a compliment? But no, a lot of people still have to pretend that he's definitively, mechanically, individually the best player in the world or defend his honor for some reason, as if he needs it with his insane wealth of international and domestic titles under his belt. The legacy is undoubtedly the greatest player in League of Legends. His legacy is one of the very greatest players in the entire history of esports. And yet people still need to think that they need to make shit up about him. Like, I think his legacy speaks for itself at this point in time. Yeah, but they're just looking for a new dad. Whereas this is just a <laughs> Korean midland, so it doesn't really fit the bill, does it? <laughs> oh, man. Um, but yeah, I've I've been really... Back to, back to the LPL playoffs. I've been really enjoying watching these games so far, even though I do think that it is more or less a foregone conclusion that JDG is just going to take the title. They don't seem to have very many flaws. And this meta doesn't seem to be super. I mean, I don't think this is the most ideal meta for them. It depends on how 369 can do with the current top lane champion pool, but I'm still very confident, especially since they've repeatedly had BLG's number this year. 
I mean, the horses to double the limb as well. So even if they lose, you just get to see two finals, basically. So either way, it's probably just a rematch of the same game, and it's just BLG times. <laughs> th- That's what's mad is because they played twice in the spring. They played at right. fucking MSI, and then they're going to play it. Like, the amount they'll have played in one year will be crazy. If only we had double limit worlds, we could see eight best of fives in a year <laughs> between these two teams. I, I will admit I'm I'm a bit sad that OMG didn't make it further in the bracket because EDG, as much as I loved EDG in spring, their flaws have been really very apparent in summer. And I think Uzi has done a good job of stepping up in a situation and getting continuously better week after week. But he's still not exactly up to speed, which I don't think, you know, his team fighting is still pretty good. His laning is really quite suspect at the current point in time, which you saw exploited pretty heavily by top esports. And even his champion pool, like he's going back to Uzi's greatest hits like Lucian and Vayne, but these are not the most meta champions right now and he's making them work. But it, it does seem like he... You know, it's a good thing, I think, that EDG is gone now because they need more time in order to get this guy back on track. And I think he put in an admirable performance for a re- his reasonable expectations based on him rejoining the league. But I don't think that's going to be enough to, you know, get them to Worlds, especially because Fofo has been kind of repeatedly underperforming in the mid lane. They were carried more or less through these playoffs by Ale. I mean, that's also the other thing to me is like the reason why you couldn't just do old school, like everyone raised the puppy is because then Ali doesn't get his carry games. Like you always needed on this team to be able to go between the two for me. So they're not bad. Like they'll be in the regional. It's just the problem is like they aren't like they aren't the same team they were when they had leave. They they were way more exciting to me back then because that was like you were watching yep. an arrow gradually go up. This is more like you have like a good performance and all right performance, good performance. Right. So it's whatever. Like I wouldn't hate it if they took like the fourth spot or something, but... I'm mainly the, the difference between the top end of the LPL is bigger, way bigger than when you go down to here. Yeah. I, EDG and uh, Weibo, I believe are already both guaranteed <clears throat> uh, to be into the championship points category for the regional uh, qualification. The way, and the way the LPL works is the summer, the winner of summer automatically qualifies for worlds. And then the team that has gotten the most championship points over the season uh, will be the second seed from China. And then it's the third and fourth teams for Worlds that are that are uh, determined by the regional play-ins. And so uh, Weibo and EDG are already qualified for those regional play-ins. And it, it, Billy Billy and JDG are currently tied uh, when it comes to points. Um, I mean, almost if certainly JDG, they're just going to qualify. Whoever wins, the other one's going to get the most points, right? Right. Yeah, basically. I mean, basically that's how it's going to work because unless... Unless LNG, yeah, I think that's right because unless LNG wins, there's no, not really another outcome. Yes. Or I suppose top esports wins, um, but I think that's less, even less likely to happen. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's it means that's the top two teams are kind of certainly guaranteed to go though, so it's all good. I think this is going to be one of the hardest hitting LPL ones ever. The teams look mega; they can send the four that they can send looks just too good, mate. Yeah, they, they they look really impressive. I think it's, you know, and if you compare that to what's happening in the LCK right now, it does feel like a doomed year for Korea, unfortunately. There's been just way too much turmoil uh, on the Korean side of things. Like, you know, Genji hasn't had the performance that 
you would have liked to have seen against KT this this past week to make you believe that um, you know Genji is going to be able to hold their own against some of the top Chinese teams. Uh, you know, we've had big roster changes like T1 is just a shell of their spring selves at this point in time. D plus. Okay, like they're still getting used to Bible as a support player, but Bible has serious flaws in the laning phase and also getting caught out in the mid and late game, even if he is offering better shot calling. And Hanwha Life, like they're looking better with Grizzly every week, but at the end of the day, Hanwha is always going to live or die by Zeka and uh, Kingen's champion pools. And so, yeah, maybe if there's a really good patch, the buff and Aatrox again, you know, maybe it's coming, but it, it feels like they are kind of perpetually behind the eight ball in this meta and it's going to be very difficult for them to catch up so you know as far as korea goes it's seeming like the only real hope is is kt rolster right now which is historically not been great for korea <laughs> no i mean the, i mean look they could still be really good like they actually do still have real punching power to even win worlds themselves it's just obviously who knows how this lineup collectively will do internationally. I also think the saddest part about the LCK one is no one could have foreseen the faker shit with T1. But the way D-plus is just fucking never doing anything. It's just so whack. It just always gets that close to being good and then never really comes off. Like, you don't even get blue balls. You just It's just never lived up to anything, mate. I think, it's, I think it's extra depressing because you would have thought that the addition of... It's like everything falls flat. It's like when they add a new player or Nuggery comes back, or Deft enters this lineup, you have such massive expectations for what that could mean for D+, because we know how good Show Showmaker and Canyon can be, and that just never seems to actually work out. And part of this, I think, has been that Showmaker has been very vocal about being burnt out this year, and that he hasn't had particularly spectacular individual performances. But you would have thought, hell, this meta is built for Showmaker. I, I mean, he has been a more supportive mid laner for large swaths of his career, right? He is the twisted fate guy in many ways. And if BDD can perform like this, and we also know that Canyon is just, I mean, Canyon's still really good. He does int some games, but when he pops off, he's it's absolutely spectacular. Games, yeah. yeah, he has huge games still. And that he is one of the only players in the world willing to do things like flex the Nico to jungle put the Scion in the jungle this season, play Talia in the jungle. So it gives D-plus just this extraordinary depth of draft, and I, they just can't put their mid and late game shot calling together. I mean, the loss of Barrel just seems to have smacked them extremely hard, and it's something they've never recovered from. And even when they play, try, try and play through top lane right now, Kana just isn't the guy to carry a game. And I think that's a big problem because this roster has typically relied like the, the, the core of this roster of Canyon and Showmaker is used to playing a style that enabled Canyon and Nuggery in the past. And they've never really figured out how to play through a carry in bot lane because they didn't have to when they had Ghost on the roster, right? Ghost was the weak side player. And since they switched over to Dukdam and now Deft, the, the hilarious thing is that most of D-Plus's wins come through when they occasionally decide to, to play through Deft. And we saw that at the start of spring when they were just dominating on the Lucian Nami picks and pushing that priority through the bottom lane. Um, but it really has 
really has struggled since that point in time. And it, it seems like it doesn't matter how many resources you throw Kana's way, no matter how big of a lead he gets, he's not going to be that guy to carry the team fight. He's not going to be that guy to carry the game. Even when we see other players on Renekton doing absolutely amazing things in team fights in this league, like Keen, Kana can't get it done. And I that's what's disappointing about this roster. Potential is always there, right? You're always just waiting for them to snap into form because they could do it at any time. You know this roster is capable of winning a world championship on paper. Like, that is not an outrageous statement. But they can't fucking put it together. Yeah. Shout out reigning world champion Beryl. <laughs> he, he, he himself never completes an item, but it turns out he he completed damn one. Sort of a, his life's sort of like a mystical metaphor, you know, in some ways. I, I think it, I think, I mean, it's just, it's objectively hilarious that Beryl has been in the last three world finals well, and won two of them when he is an absolute dumpster fire of an individual player. He looks terrible right now. He was the one that went on you that if you win, people, their brains break. Because, you know, when people were trying to rationalize all the times he won't complete an item or he just buys a million pinks, like, he would take it so far, like, nobody could even defend these moves. Like, they're just, like, the worst <laughs> possible ones. It's so ridiculous. Some of those <laughs> item ones kill me. It's like Malrang does it in LEC all the time, mate. Like, they have the most criminal ones where you just never get an item. Like, they have ones where, you know, you have, like, one item, like, 20 minutes in, like... Like they have some outrageous ones, mate. It's not StarCraft. You can't switch your build path out, guys. It's not StarCraft. I mean, the joke as well as in the modern day from the mythic era. It's even more important of the item. What are you doing? What are you actually doing? I I I low-key used to love what Malrong did. Uh and just buy components for flat val like maximizing value in the moment of the buy. Uh, because, you know, he was an effective early game jungler and you just realize that his entire purpose was to sacrifice his own long term growth in order to facilitate his lanes. And that was OK because it worked with Rogue. But now I think you're seeing like obviously Malrong has been really quite bad this year and we haven't seen him be anywhere near as effective as people have slowly figured him out. And also, as we discussed, I think the meta has changed because he used to be a ganking jungler in a farming jungler's world. So he used to be unique and uh, surprising. Now what, is he now like a bad farmer in a fucking ganking jungler's world? <laughs> Basically, he just yes. Just, <laughs> it's a sad thing. My suspicion is it goes the same for Marang as it does for Adam in BDS. You can rationalize that what they're doing somehow makes sense, but they don't know that, and they will do that even in a bad team. Like, if you put Adam <laughs> in the worst team in the entire of Europe, he'll still be like, look, I, oh, I, may, I am a pressure vacuum at top, pulling people. No, he just do that anyway, mate. I, I bet he just letting so lucky all day as well. It's like, no, I don't believe these guys know they're doing i think they're sort of useful idiots basically <laughs> i mean it works though and that's why they're just a they're a tool that if you have the right coach to use that tool the right team built around them it it can be surprisingly effective so i i, I mean i credit bds for actually doing a very good job of using adam um by the way, don't worry, he got completely exposed again. He really was just back on fucking like, oh, pick Darius and Olaf. Like, bro, you've been in the league like two years now or something mad. Like, huge get a fucking game. This is whack. You actually do have two champions you play. Like, the joke is, that's how you know Renekton's really good. That's like his third champion he can play. Like, give me a break, bro. This is mental. Like, it's one thing. He's not even doing that niche thing, Monty. He really just only plays those champions, no matter whether they're in the meta or not. It's, if there's no angle, you just fucked in draft that, yeah. 
If, if he goes to Worlds, I'm going to be so sad, mate. I'm going to be so sad. <laughs> He's just going to get battered. Look, look man, I, I'm all about flaming Adam for his champion pool, but I'm not even sure that was the biggest problem in the series that they played against heretics. No, uh, I mean, the, the joke there is the only laner that can't punish him in it. I, I mean, <laughs> I think, I think you do have to, I think you do have to seriously question. I mean, yeah, the... look, in, the, in the world of the blind Evie, then yes, the one-eyed Adam is king and, and rules <laughs> supreme and can't be touched. Yeah, we get that. The problem is that kingdom doesn't exist often, does it? I mean, Evie kind of gapped him in this series, honestly, because I, we did see heretics like pretty actively propping up Evie. And again, he spent the entirety of the knockout stages in the best of threes playing Orn and, and Renekton, which has worked for this team. Um, I mean, I, I would blame a lot of the issues in this game due to some really fucking wacky ass drafts. Like, I don't. I get if you're OMG and you have Abel and you really want to play Samira and you understand, you know, you're one of, if not the best Samira players in the world. Maybe you do this if you're Guma Yushi, who's also just an excellent Samira player. But why you are picking Samira into some of these team compositions and you're giving up to VTO, you're giving up Kaisa, which, by the way, we have said you you absolutely cannot give to Team Heretics. Just ban it every time against them. There's no point looking yeah. through. I mean, you can't give it to anybody. If we're being totally honest, guys, as I've said for weeks now, across LFN shows, Kaisa is mega broken, okay? And I said that you must, you absolutely must ban this champion and you extra must ban this champion against Team Heretics, right? Also, hilariously, SK, even though Fnatic did manage to, to pull off a game victory against Exekick because SK was only winning with either Kaisa or Poppy on the roster. And those were the huge, 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 huge factors that were enabling SK because with one, they got Exekick onto the most broken champion, in my opinion, in League of Legends right now. And that allowed them, and it's their best player, obviously, that allowed them to carry. Also, Irrelevant was kind of overperforming in the top lane. And then the secondly, they did a pretty good job of setting up around objectives. And when you have Poppy, you could just turn any engagement into a 5v4 or a 5v3. And they were really good at turning off of the Poppy ult. So if you get rid of those two things, SK really didn't have a lot of extra tricks up their sleeve. But they had a good meta read. And I, I think that's like, that's like a, you know, you, you come in on a new patch with a, a better meta read and that can get you pretty far, at least until teams adapt the, the following days and weeks. Uh, which What's going to be mental in Europe, mate, is how ridiculous the like championship round is going to be because essentially you have to hope Fnatic's good. If Fnatic's good, you've got like two good teams in their XL, basically. But aside from that, mate, there are so many teams could completely mess it up and not go to Worlds or go to Worlds. Like, I, I think that there's so many like coin flip potential matchups in that championship. Because think about teams like BDS are going to be there, mate. Mad Lions, like, this is going to be rough. It's going to be rough. I mean, Mad Lions for who can't possibly be worse than you we've seen so. already, right? I mean, it, listen, it would be special if they somehow go, like, whatever, like, fucking 10-plus losses in a row. That would be quite unique, I guess. That would be one record to set. <laughs> I mean, they're in the upper bracket, too, which is due to their championship points. Um, and so... You know, they are going to have, you know, they could go 0 and 10 or like 0 and 6 in terms of, of game scores and just completely bomb out. But I think that they're 
it'll be a different patch. It'll be a different time. And I think that this roster, at least individually, name by name, and especially with their coaching staff, should be able to solve some of these issues with a few weeks off in order to uh, in order to get things together. Because remember, uh, this is the last weekend of LEC performance in the summer playoffs. We'll cl- we'll crown the summer champion, and then there's actually going to be a couple weeks off. Um, they don't even start the first round of the LEC season finals until August 19th, which is the same weekend that is the LCS finals and the LCK finals and LPL finals are happening. What next weekend? So basically all of the regions are going to be done except for regionals um, in, in Korea and uh, qualifications. And then LEC is just going to be the only league running all on its own for the championship. So they have a lot of time to adapt here. And indeed, they may be playing on patches that none of the other teams in the world have played on uh, at that point in time. So it's a quite a long season for the LEC guys with quite a few breaks. There have been a lot of weird breaks, I have to say, in the LEC this year. Also, you do know that technically, if XL just loses now, they might not be in that actual fucking championship thing, even though they've looked really good and now everyone would want to see them finally play, wouldn't they? Like, they actually could have beat G2, mate. <laughs> I mean, that is... I, I want to say that's outrageous, Thorin, but they did come in 10th place two splits in a row, so the works, they yeah. kind of they kind of did it to themselves. Like, people are going to be angry about the way that, you know, the current momentum set up a lot of these teams to fail but it is crazy that we could get xl heretics and fanatic who what were the eighth ninth and tenth place teams in last split all in the top four this time that's just a really you can't design formats to accommodate for that result that result is absolutely insane um and i don't think that you can redesign the qualification system based on such an anomalous performance because that is very, very unlikely to ever repeat itself in history. Oh. Do you want to talk about XL and, and especially Vitality a little yeah, bit? Stir up. Because this is a team that we, XL was the team we predicted to do very well at the start of Beginning. the year. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just like Vitality, the rumor was that they're also, I think, we're good in scrims as well. It's another one of those ones where like the scrim box are high. Because, I mean, there's just been so much turnover within the Excel roster this year. And you reported on some, you know, behind the scenes skullduggery based on their contracts. So what what's your take on the kind of long tail of Excel this year, the roster moves they made, the coaching moves that they've made? Because it is surprising that they have been able to come together and actually be one of the better teams in terms of macro and coordination. I'll probably do a video on this topic soon, but basically I got like most of the story behind the scenes. Like, first of all, even though on paper, loads of people in the industry did think they actually did a great job in the off season, like putting together on paper. Like if people forget, now they're all going to meme on Cersei. Dude, when he was in Astralis, everyone was complimenting him. He looked like like an all pro level player. He was actually back in his game. So when they made that off season roster move, the problem is this. I've heard that it wasn't all like coaching staff and players who wanted those exact players though. Like the org just 
did some of that shit. So, like, for example, as far as I know, the Org are the ones who wanted Cersei, even though apparently, like, they wanted the others wanted Odoane and people like that. And then also, in terms of, like, um, support and mids, so Vethio and Targamas, who now are no longer there as well, those potentially were going to be, like, Korean pickups, and they were actually scouting people. But what happened is, in the end, they just brought in the lineup they brought in, and that just didn't work fundamentally, like, didn't work on a personnel angle, didn't work in terms of, like, how it was coached. It sounds like it was a mismatch there. And then, obviously, some players, particularly Vethio, just looked absolutely crap compared to what they used to be like. So it, the silly thing is, the, the guy that they brought in this year, Tim Reichardt, who used to be with Schalke, basically all his band-aids were just bring back people who used to be in Schalke. So he already had Odoan who's joined. <laughs> then he brings in Abidage, who used to be in Schalke, who sold 100 Thieves. And then he brings in Limit, who used to be the support of Schalke. So essentially, they just like band-aided the team to be worse on paper, better in the server. And actually, I can't even lie. If you watch the series to play against G2, they actually are like just a top three team for real. Like They're actually pretty good now in Europe. They're not amazing, but the floor of the team's way better than you'd expect. It just shows how strange Ross construction is yeah i i think the issue with xl is like this is definitely this roster's ceiling um i you know abadage has been performing individually quite well limit looks a lot better in this meta on some of these engaged supports than he has uh you know on on others in the past um you know patrick's looked patrick's looked pretty good i i would say throughout these playoffs they still have some pretty big flaws in early game performances, like especially from Peach the jungler has been just awful at times and does turn it around a little bit in team fights, but it's an uphill battle. I think their greatest strengths are simply like they have very clear ideas about how they want to team fight, and they are quite coordinated in terms of turning off of objectives, uh, all inning on one person. Like they do follow the calls and they do, they do a good job of positioning themselves on the map. Um, and you know, that's great. But at the end of the day, if you want to compete at an international level, you're going to have to have players that can individually perform. And if you see, if you go to an international competition and Peach and Odo Omne fall as far behind as they have in some of these early games, you will just lose the game. Like that is just how it works at the top level of play right now. And so it's been fun to watch the turnaround, but I'm not sure that I would be super sad about not seeing this roster, you know, make the the season finals, because I do think that there is a higher upside to other rosters that could be sent to worlds. Like say what you will about Fnatic's performance, but on a pound for pound player level, this team has such a much higher ceiling, right? Um, I, in many ways, I would rather even see heretics, like despite Evie's flaws, which could be lumped into the same categories as excels. Uh, they have enough other exciting players that I think they have a better chance of, of pulling off an upset. I think Rex is fucking terrible, mate. Like, Evie will get completely destroyed. Flack he will, but it'll be fine. Average as fuck when you go international. <laughs> the problem you have is if you go international, you have one win condition. That's Vethio, that's it. That's yeah, it, goes. So, <laughs> no, it's not that sort of jungler, though, mate. Like, how is he going to win you the game from jungle supportive <laughs> style? Like, what's he going to do? Whereas the difference is, like, XL's not good, but they're not bad either. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the thing is that this is not, this league, unless Mad Lions can step it up, uh, you know, this league is just not three teams deep. Like BDS and SK are also teams that are going to really struggle internationally. Like 
people will commit war crimes against Adam as well if he hits an international tournament. I mean, there's just well, I mean, no it's way. It's be interesting because think about it. The fourth spot is the one that plays the LCS. That could be BDS. That could be Mad Lions. So they can have, <laughs> they could both not only could they win this series, they could completely in it and make themselves look like fools as well. That's totally on the table for both. <laughs> I am, I, I am low. We'll go mental if Mad Lions fuck up that like fourth place game. They'll go absolutely mental because they've already let Europe down so many times, Matt. I am I am high key so excited for that fourth place. Sounds great. <laughs> Especially you just know, look at the teams it could be from LCS. It could be like Team Liquid. It could be fucking. I mean, who else could realistically? TSM. It's a whole bunch of teams it could be for that fourth spot from LCS, Matt. Yeah. EG. There's loads. Could be very interesting. Um. Yeah. I. I Look, I, I think that's going to be a really, really fun series to watch. And I'm, you know, I'm hopeful as much as Rift Rivals used to just suck back in the day. You know, we know that Riot is very seriously contemplating moving the LCS into the LEC format or a similar variant. And I think we can be pretty confident that Riot is going to add another international tournament next year. Because part of the flagging Western viewership has been that they just go to these tournaments and get dominated. And we, we, you know, they've done things like add double elimination at MSI so that there's a higher likelihood that we see West versus West matches, even though, you know, unfortunately, that wasn't a result of the way the bracket shook out at the first MSI they did this. But I do think they realize that there is they need to have more international competition uh, that features Western teams versus Western teams. And as well as I think it's exciting to see, obviously, as many LCK versus LPL matches as we can possibly have, right? So I do think that they're going to introduce after what is equivalent, the equivalent to the first LEC split, the winter split, I think they're going to introduce a new uh, international tournament format that probably will feature you know, Western, like it'll be like Rift Rivals, but hopefully better. What I would do is I would just let some really experienced event company like ESL run tournaments. <laughs> Maybe you could call them like part of the Intel Extreme Masters brand. And I would just not <laughs> tell them you could only have four LEC and then two wildcard and then two from like Portugal. Like I would just let them have eight good teams and just let them have that and just go, I'll carve that, you out a I mean, we, we all want that. Them. I, we all want that, well, but I don't that, think... Wasn't that great? <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen, Thorin. Because <laughs> I think, I think League, more than anything, is the game which would benefit from my idea years ago from Counter-Strike, which is someone has to eventually figure out that the pay-per-view angle needs to be like the UFC. It has to be that you're hyped for the fight. So the point is, in Counter-Strike, the best one you could make is if there's ever a period when to the two teams you want to see never meet in the final, but they each win the tournaments, like sometimes happens. You want to see the face-off. You want to see the big showdown match for the big money game, like... Imagine in league if you could do that, mate. Imagine if just halfway, okay, I don't know, technically you could say MSI final can serve as this, but imagine if like right now there was just a week where you just got to see JDG play against KT Rolster in the best of five. That'd be fucking amazing. <laughs> it doesn't have to be the world's <laughs> final. It can just be a one-off to like see that'd the power great. levels. He was good. Yeah, that'd be sick. That'd be the shit. Yeah. Well, I, I, I hope that we get, you know, I, I, you know, personally, Thorin, I don't really care if this is a like a Rift Rival style event. Uh, because we would get the eight bet te best teams in the world out of LPL and LCK. You know what I mean? If we just had an, a, an Asian cup there, during yeah. that period. Um, and then we just had the monkey knife fight of the Western teams for entertainment. I'm, I'm totally okay. I'm totally okay with you this. you remember this the, original, the original theory Riot had, which was so whack, 
Because remember, it's all based on not as far as I can tell, Riot Games' entire esports strategy is based on the fundamental misperception that the NFL format operates that way because it's the best, not because people physically can't play best of seven of like physical game where you get destroyed. And the joke is like, like look how many times has Mahomes been fucking injured in the playoffs, mate? Like you just can't do it. But Riot doesn't get that that's the physical component is limiting it. They think that's actually enhancing whatever they're doing. So they really used to say for real guys, stupid shit, like that the best possible storyline, this is like some fucking aesthete, like fucking ancient Christianity approach of like denial of the self and materialism. Their whole thing was like, if you never ever get them to meet though, they've never met and you know, they're in China and they're in Korea and they're, they're both dominant, but they never meet. They've never ever met. It's like sort of star-crossed lovers, you know, they just glimpse through a wall. That would be the ultimate tease, wouldn't it? Because if they then met in the world's finals, Monty, it'd be the greatest match anyone's ever seen. Well, that isn't even how it works. And also, the reason why that is such an egregious premise for people to tell me is I'm being told that by Americans, right? Understand, <laughs> Americans in some sort of like a fucking Skinner box type social conditioning framework are the rat that just pressed the fucking dopamine slash cocaine button till dead rather than drink the water <laughs> out of the other one. Like, that's Americans. As they're, and then they're going, no, the thing is, if you if you sort of keep yourself, if you hold back from temptation, eventually it gets really insane and sort of like Tantra just goes to it. How would you know? How the fuck would you know? And also, it's like your legends, bro. Like, we already know from other games is brilliant when people keep meeting. Like, spoiler, if BLG plays JDG in the final, it doesn't matter that BLG doesn't beat them. It's no one going to be hyped to watch that match. You know, don't they all? I'm hyped. Because here's the thing, if BLG wins that one, that'll be even more insane, won't it, after all those losses? That'll like blow your mind completely. So that whole <laughs> angle of like, you just want it to happen once. Like, no, that's a movie, mate. Like, in real life, you want it to happen a bunch of times. Like, I don't know if you know this. In MMA, now it's even actually pretty much the meta that two people are really good they'll have two or three title fights in their career they do like the rubber match or shit like that's like the standard meta because people know when you get a really great matchup you just want to see it again there's even one that happened not recently where it was the guy Usman if people know him and basically he actually won both the fights and they might do a third one because they just would really good fights it didn't matter that the other guy lost them all they were just mega entertaining so to me I've always thought that approach is just silly like you want to see as many times as possible top esports play against team one or whoever the team of at course. the time that are on top. Yeah, of course. Because well, I mean, the I think... league history are crazy about the what-ifs. Wrong yeah, bracket, and... the wrong team qualified. It's too many. I, I mean, that's why that's why I'm... Because Riot does these shenanigans with their formats at Worlds and MSI already, that's why I'm excited if they introduce Rift Rivals back, that we do get to see something really cool, and the schedule is broken up into, like, three splits, right? So you have the winter, spring, and summer. We reduce regular season. We at least increase competitiveness because like all we talk about is like okay well i want to see more of the good teams and if we had top four from lpl and top four from uh lck duke it out after the winter split that's totally fine with me right i think it provides some really excellent opportunities for entertainment and in many ways might end up being a better format than MSI and Worlds, at least in terms of pure competitiveness, because we just kick off with bangers immediately. We don't have all the garbage play-in games that, ha that have to happen first because of Riot's own format decisions. So I think it could be good. Um, also, here's a, here's a fun one for you, Thorin, that uh, here's a little, a little teaser, guys. I've heard an interesting new rumor, very interesting, hot out of Riot, Riot itself, uh, which is that there has been consideration about consolidating LCS and CB Lull for next year. 
and potentially moving it out of Los Angeles. So that's a that's a spicy one. I'm not sure how true it is, but uh, but I think I think there is definitely it, it would be shocking if they had not had these conversations, right? If you just look at the way that we've seen LCS go, first off, as we've discussed many times on this show, um, the sustainability of running LCS in Los Angeles is pretty crazy. I think they would continue to run potentially Valorant uh, out of the current LCS studio, but it, it would cut costs significantly and it would allow them to probably move LCS back to the weekends because they would, could do it in a different location. Um, if they wanted to run it at the same time, Riot's still under the delusion that all of the LCS fans also watch Valorant, so they can't be on at the same time. But maybe they have, uh, you know, <laughs> re, 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 they're reapproaching that. Um, and I think also there's probably pressure uh, from why the is teams. Riot Games attempting to do some like Marvel from the seventies shit. Like, of course you'd know this if you read Silver Spot Surfer of seventeen earlier. Like, we didn't. We it's a totally different esports. Continue on. Like, you don't have to wait till I've caught up on Valorant before you can tell what happened on LCS. It's a totally different project in it. It's not even. A, there's not even an overlap. What's the overlap? There isn't one. <laughs> you'd think they'd focus group this thing, but like, surely the overlaps fuck all. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I, I think don't that they... they play Valorant. They might play Valorant for fun, but I don't believe people really like. Man, those two games have no overlap. Like, I know obviously it's technically morbid, but like the the appeal isn't even there. I don't. I think that's nonsense if they really believe that. I could believe Riot would, but it's just do Riot are in it, right? I, I think you know, right now they've they've been doing it just because of the they can't run the the two shows at the same time in the same studio. Um, but there's also, I mean, the fact that for the ownership groups, one of the long complaints has been the expense of operating teams in the state of California, not only because you're paying higher payroll taxes, but just because you're in Los Angeles with the cost of living and housing costs and, and everything like that. And if you go to Vegas or Texas, you you cut those costs really, really significantly. Um you can even make and, it more know, attractive for the actual contracts. I, like, think about the income yeah. tax is going to be way better for players, right? Exactly, because California state income tax is ten percent, and you know Texas and 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 Vegas have have zero percent. So it's actually better for player income as yep. well. I mean, I've argued for Vegas just because it's a you know it's a four or five hour drive from Los Angeles, so you're still close enough. It's like a forty minute flight, right? So you're still close enough to be uh, in proximity to Riot HQ. You know, housing is extremely cheap in Vegas at the current point in time. Internet is very good in Vegas. There's a lot of production personnel in Vegas already for for their entertainment industry. Um, and it's not super burdensome for the teams to move out there. Um, and I think the teams would absolutely love this kind of arrangement. Now, you might have to go further east just to if you especially if you do anything with with CB Lowell. But honestly, that's been my argument has been that having a mix of, you know, doing what they did in Valorant, which is not create a North American league, you create an America's league, is much more successful because you will instantly, I think, if the if the Brazilian players, I, I mean, their viewership is already above LCS, just straight up, full stop, co-streamers included in LCS. And by the way, you can't co-stream CB Lowell. Imagine if you got some of those big Brazilian co-streamers who are insanely popular to co-stream in Portuguese in that region. The numbers would be even more off the chain compared to LCS. 
And I think that it would level up all of the players. You'd have more available talent to, to draw from. They would better LCS teams. And we would get much more interesting rivalries, right? We get much more interesting rivalries. Now, and I don't know. Threats. <laughs> sure. <laughs> hollow, that hollow comes death threats. Hand. That comes hand in hand. <laughs> hollow death and threats. And corral horse. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do enjoy the Corrales. <laughs> um, but I think I think having an America's League... Now, I don't know what this would mean in terms of franchising. Would they buy out, you know, some teams who wanted to be bought out and therefore, you know, uh, make a 16-team league and buy out a few of the kind of underperforming teams or teams that no longer want to participate in LCS? Like, I can't imagine, for example, that, you know... Maybe Immortals, because they have the MIBR brand and could like transform themselves into probably a pretty popular Brazilian team, uh, would be interested in staying on under certain conditions. But I think there are a lot of the lower level teams. TSM has already said they want to get out, right? So uh, Dignitas, I, I don't know if they want to stick around. Um, so I think maybe if you offered some reasonable buyouts to some of the lower tier teams, that might be a, a good way to to leave. Um as part of a consolidation in the system. So now I don't know if this is going to happen guys, but like I said, it, it, as I've speculated previously about this merger, it is a natural line of thought. But it's um, weird. The part people don't get is this Monty. There isn't an equivalent in Europe. Like, I mean, I guess Europe used to technically have like the Russian teams, but they, they're, they're obviously not that big. So they have their own region. Since there is no ERL system and you're not going to make one overnight in an air, this is just the most logical thing to do to consolidate talent and to give like a bigger talent pool to draw from. Like obviously hand in hand with this would be the notion, I'm assuming that like Brazilian players, they wouldn't count as imports anymore. Right. So that even they can right. be yep. mixed in with this. So it's also a way to shore all the teams up potentially. Right. Yeah, and I, I mean, I would hope that this would also be Latin American teams as well, so speaking rosters from LLA. Um, and yeah, like you say, at this point, at that point in time, you actually could create an, an ERL system based off of North America, Latin America, and South America, or a similar system that then feeds into the top-level league. The problem is that you've franchised both CBLOL and LCS, and so it's about negotiating those contracts and how much money riot wants to spend to get rid of some of these teams. Cause I don't think we can exist in a world where there's a 20 team system in the Americas when there's only 17 in, in, in LPL in China and the audience is significantly smaller than, than the LPL audience. So you have to pay people off to kind of leave. I think I mean, the joke that uh, you're saying, especially if you want to like take some slots away is you might actually do like a fucked up version of Owl. You might just basically say to TSM, yes. here's some money to leave and never come back. In fact, there, that slot yes. just dissolved. doesn't exist anymore. Peace. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think you do out, have to do that. You know, whatever it might be. <laughs> so people don't know the actual final act of Overwatch League. This is how whack it was, was to pay people 6 million to fuck off. There you go. There's your six million. <laughs> oh, no. All right. Sound brilliant. League. Thanks. By the way, we did do an episode of the Four Horsemen, guys. If you want to go check that out, it is on this channel, uh, Last Free Nation on YouTube, or you can check it out on podcast platforms uh, where we talked to Harsha, one of the longtime kind of famous coaches of Overwatch League who has moved on beyond his esports career right now. So it's very free to talk about things. Never plans to come back. Godspeed, Harsha. <laughs> may we all be so lucky someday uh but we are uh we we do talk extensively about 
everything that's been going on with Overwatch League, which I know will be interesting to those people who like to follow kind of the general trends in the industry. So you can go look at that as well. Uh, but yeah, I, I think this is just such a strong, natural, at least evolution for the LCS. I had a lot of people arguing with me when I said that we that the LCS should be moved out of Los Angeles that oh yeah you know the teams have these facilities here and blah 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 like 100 thieves and TSM team liquid they built all these incredibly large and expensive spots and my answer to that is first off they have other operations in Los Angeles and other people here and it's not going to be that big of a deal and second off even moving some of these locations especially now when corporate real estate is in the absolute gutter because of work from home it's not going to be that hard to you know save money after a year or two by getting new leases in a new city and winding down operations in Los Angeles so if anything, that is a relic of what is now, it's not even an age, it was just a bygone period where the way people thought you could keep snowballing your reputation up so you get bigger and bigger investment was things like, be like, look, I've led my state-of-the-art facility here I built in downtown. It's like, but you're not doing anything. Like That's like some hackers, the movie shit, they're like, look, come in here, because by the way, I've made this point before. This was one thing I ragged on the game of Docker and that fucking video about. Because she herself had like worked with like some of those companies, she was like fucking, for real, bragging about that player they got from Unreal Tournament into the Valorant team called Demon One. She was bragging that he was like using Aim Lab and he was like, his numbers were crazy. Like, shut the fuck up. Like, you're <laughs> on some actual, like, fucking urban campfire stories about combine times, you fucking idiot. This is like some bad NFL DVD now. Like, what are you talking about? Like, there's nobody gives a shit what his Aim Lab score is. Like, by the way, if people don't know, like, you could actually take, like, the 10 most goated CS players and I guarantee a couple of them wouldn't even have, like, exceptional reaction times. It's like, so much of it's in the mind how you set the shot up, your muscle memory, etc. Like, like, the whole thing's just nonsense. So, like, that same thing with those facilities to me. That unless you're, like, doing something amazing, like, maybe if you're doing, like, amazing level of production or, like, video stuff, you might need, like, a sound stage and stuff. But they're talking, like, it's a facility that's actually doing something. Like, it's not like the fucking X-Men 90s cartoon where they had like, a whole bunker thing with, like, a sort of hollow chamber or whatever. Like, at the end of the day, you had to sit at a PC playing. Like, it's the more, it's by definition the most from-home friendly work ever. You know, I know that, Monty. We all fucking did it from home for two years. <laughs> <laughs> kept running. We get running the whole industry. We're all at well, home. <laughs> yeah, and all the players were at home too. And by the way, guys, so many of these uh, team facilities are sold so disingenuously to you guys on social media and on video content, by the way. So, you know, here's an example. The 100 Thieves, when they announced their facility, and I'm not knocking the 100 Thieves building, I've been there. It's very nice on the inside. What you don't know, if you don't know about Los Angeles, is if you come from a dense urban city, if you live in Europe, if you live in Asia, if you live in New York, uh, you know, you it's it's a relatively tightly packed space. And you don't really realize that the sprawl of Los Angeles fills like a massive, massive land area in South, South Southern California. It's mostly suburban. And there's just huge spaces huge like warehouse parks in the middle of the city um that take up a lot of space but they're not vertically built and they're you know a lot of them are just kind of old dumpy buildings not that that's the 100 thieves facility but my point is this the 100 thieves facility is about i don't know a five minute drive away from my house in los angeles they're very very close to me and they exist in kind of this area of south culver city that is mostly just a bunch of old warehouses that are used as kind of like tier three production facilities 
um, or our creative agencies. And they're close to something called the Hayden Tract, which is just kind of like a unattractive series of kind of shell buildings that sit around and people go there to work. And they're on a major street called Jefferson, and there's nothing interesting around the Hundred Thieves building. It's not desirable real estate, but the way it's presented to you in these videos is like, holy shit, this is part of Los Angeles. You know, right. this it's it's in the middle of Hollywood. Look how important this is. They are in like a shit ass corner of Los Angeles. Um, and there's nothing to do around there. It's not walkable by any means. There's no glitz and glamour to where they are. And so a lot of the teams have intentionally oversold their facilities in LA when they are not in super high traffic, high volume places in Los Angeles. They are not in the prestigious location and they shouldn't be. That's not their purpose. But you are sold a false bill of goods by these false. teams about how important or luxurious or expensive their facilities are. Bro, they may as well just rename 100 Thieves to fucking Bored Ape Esports Club. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've nailed the whole brand and everything. <laughs> well, what are you talking about, Thorin? They're totally making a new FPS that is not just a Fortnite mod that they came out with. Metal in it. <laughs> The grift that runs. <laughs> the hundred thieves grift is actually unreal. It's actually unreal. I mean, their whole shit has been release a run of like two hundred t-shirts, claim you like sell them out instantly, and then claim you made a bunch of money off of that when you just intentionally did false scarcity. Uh, Do you want to know something sad? Here's how you know that the one area y'all have fucked up with for the LCS, and I intentionally say y'all to make people in flyover states feel inclusive, right? So basically, y'all don't have any actual like English people on the NA broadcast because there's been a joke that's been crying out to be used, but no one knows it because you're not from the UK. So you know the player for 100 Thieves called Quid. Yes. Right. If people don't know, quid is slang for like a pound, like the yes. unit, main unit of British currency. Well, in the UK, there is a store like your 99 cent store called the Pound Store, like Poundland. The joke is it looks like they got their mid lane from Poundland. Like it's where you go, <laughs> all the things are cheap. They're all just one pound each. Like that's the cheapest shit you can get. Like so basically, the joke, it was right there the whole time and no one was using it. Everyone's just going, <laughs> something about double lift. Like not, never anything with the quid. There wasn't even, no one even attempted my quid pro quo one. I thought, <laughs> that was pretty fire too. The status quo. He's going pro. He's pro. Like, give me a break. No one's no one's working with this material. Right. Meanwhile, Captain Flowers just did that one where he did like another like. Oh, he bloody coming in the dark. Oh, kills, 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 kills. Triple kill. And then at the end, he even did that like tweet like, "Sorry, y'all had to really like kick it to you at the end." Like, man, why is everything he does now just sound like some fucking hello, fellow kids? Like, I am <laughs> rapping in my. I know you like it when I rap in my fucking commentary. Like. Just, Whatever, bro. Whatever. You know, I I think I think Flowers is a very talented play by playcaster, but I think it, look if we want some hello fellow kids stuff, that's not even the worst hello fellow kids stuff that's happening on that broadcast by a, a country mile. What's, what's the worst for you then? Come on. I mean, when they started summer and they were all in the the fake pool on stage. Oh right. Right. Yes. Here's here's my problem, guys. I love a lot of the LCS casters. I think they're great. Um. If you are trying to appeal to a younger generation, I'm just saying that I like Jad a lot. I think Jad is one of he's one of the best casters analysts that has ever existed in League of Legends esports. He is built. 
Come on. He is built for the ESPN style professional sure. delivery. Nobody wants to see Jat in a fake pool. Like I'm who is the audience for Jat in a fake pool on stage? Uh, it's not going to be the younger generation. Like you need to get different people if you want to appeal to the Zoomers in that way. Right. And it's not appealing to me because that's not what I want from Jat. Right. And you're not even they're like fully clothed in these pools. There's not really anything interesting about it. It's just a weak idea executed badly with the wrong people. And what, what I find so confusing about what the LCS does is that they are they they realize that the direction that they went of becoming too NFL like and too professional was clearly wrong. It was always wrong. It was always wrong. Um, but then instead of switching up the people, which is kind of necessary in order to enact a new vision, especially if you're going to do something wildly different in terms of product and a new audience, you keep the same people who did the thing you realized wasn't working. So. I, I I really don't understand that. Although I will say that I mean, it's pretty. Least it's the same company, Monty. Riot Games that made a giant game that essentially was like some sort of a fucking Skinner box experiment for humans. And even though we already have the control group, the control group is called every other video game ever released. Riot still acts to this day like, wait a minute, it's not that our game's kind of a bit frustrating and makes people toxic. No, 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 no. That's just all. You have to understand that my name's like um, all of humanity is toxic, and our game is essentially like the human instrumentality project out of Neon Genesis Evangelion and we're through this video <laughs> game going to merge all human consciousness into one super consciousness which will then change and also because we're Riot Games and this ties into Evangelion maybe there'll be some sort of woke gender angle on there but we'll see that'll be revealed in the movie and then basically at that point it's just the game makes it toxic isn't it like you can't change everyone else in the whole world and Riot's like can't I it's like that's, that's what they have Monty they'll never realise it's them that did it will they so it'll always be everyone else's yeah. fault Everyone you know what I, I I get confused by these people is because, look, man, I talk about fucking esports for a living. I'm not on some righteous crusade to change the soul of society. You know what I mean? I, I'm I'm watching the games. I'm doing some analysis, making some jokes, making entertaining podcasts for you guys. I don't have a need to, you know, constantly say that I am going to alter as you as you put it the the fabric of human existence if you want to do that riot employees why don't you just go into politics or nonprofit organizations like just make a fucking video game at the end of the day we don't need these pronouncements that you've always had about these grandiose goals for shifting you know society just just make a video game that's what you do and if you don't want to make a video game and you want to go do something else godspeed go do that instead right we don't I don't want <laughs> all of that within the fabric of the competitive game that I'm playing. But it I is, appreciate is that thing they do, though, where what they do is they just pretend like, oh, it's that a game you've made. I was working on a game really like that. Like, what? Yeah, you know, Daughter. You're not going to believe this. I've made League of Legends. Oh, you know, Auto Chess. I've made TFT. You know, Counter-Strike. There's a Street Fighter. Like, man, this is ridiculous. Have you, has it, basically, here's what I don't get. It's like, for real, it's right games. Just that meme where it's like, you made this? I made this? Like, you're just that meme. Like, you're, you just convince yourselves you made all these games. Like, has anyone from Riot Games ever actually made an original game? Like, You, you forgot about Hearthstone, dude. You forgot about Hearthstone. Oh, there you go. <laughs> By the way, the joke on that one is, though, 
that like actually Wizards of the Coast deserved that. Like if you couldn't figure out because they already had like a scuffed version of like an online magic right. gathering thing for, but it's like it cost so much, it was prohibitively expensive, the tech was crap. It's like the idea they left that one on the table is mad to me. Like how how Blizzard just rocked up and took half so I don't even know me because that was just like a bad version of Magic the Gathering. It was just so obvious they should have done that. Well, I, the problem, I think the problem with digital card games is that you, in order to have a smooth flow of play, you can't have interaction in your opponent's turn. So I, I think that's one of the issues. Like, obviously, the magic stuff online has been fixed pretty significantly uh, since the early days. Like, it's, it's better now. But But the problem is, is like, when you have games where you can interrupt your opponent's turn or you can react to any card that they play, you constantly have to be like clicking, like, I'm not reacting to this. I'm not reacting to this. I'm not reacting to this. Whereas Hearthstone, I think Blizzard, it is a worse game, but it is a better digital game because it actually is a smoother flow of play because they don't allow reactions during your enemy's turn. So you're not constantly having to stare at the screen and just click, no, I don't want to do anything. No, I don't want to do anything. No, I don't want to do anything. Um, so yeah, it is. I think it's different, but yes, I, I, just I am. That we live in a world though where it was Hearthstone, one of the most boring esports games ever. That actually had the Tiananmen Square of our generation in <laughs> sound. <laughs> Why was that a thing? And then because that, that was the moment I knew. By the way, like I'm not one of these fools who actually. By the way, guys, understand I'm not actually performatively outraged that like idiots work with Saudi Arabia. That was just obvious. Like if you knew some of these people, like I did behind the scenes, it was obvious they were going to do it. They never really had any fucking principles. But once people did just let that Blitzchung thing just go, and they were like, you know what? It's not going to say anything about it. It's like that was just that, that was like the fucking that was the Rubicon. Once people cross that, you can never go back. At that point, fuck everyone, I guess, right? Okay. <laughs> that was outrageous, that whole story. And the amount of the virtual signals who said nothing was mental. It was actually fucking mad, mate. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing's the whole thing's outrageous, right? And uh I'm I mean, sure there, was there no were back then. If we'd have had that back <laughs> I, then, could have saved it all. I, I'm sure there there have been gag orders as well um around this with riot. But it's, it's my understanding that the settlement to all their female employees has basically been paid out in the last month or so. And you have seen very little on social media reporting about this. Um, but I, I think because probably you had to sign agreements to not make a bunch of posts about it um, and keep the amount secret individual by individual, right? But that's just something people should know about. It's like apparently the money's hit the bank accounts now. Um, and we've seen. Nary a peep. Nary a peep about Get a hashtag going. What's the most sort of fucking, what's the most swaggy <laughs> thing you've bought with your check? Let's see. I want to see some fucking electric scooters, all sorts of shit. Yeah. Maybe New cars. Down payment on your house. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> some people, some people made a lot of money from that, guys. Like, a lot of money. Uh, so... But nary a peep. I would have thought that <clears throat> at least some of the journalists who broke that story would have followed up with another report at this point in time, but that hasn't happened yet. That hasn't happened yet. Well, the Thorin. joke is you have to tie the two stories together. The joke is this. It, you do all get $100 million worth, but you get it as apartments in Neon. So if, you, if you're willing to move <laughs> Lock, and Barrel to Neon, you've got an apartment there. But if you're not, then... <laughs> so all I'm saying is, what side are you coming down on now? Is Neom okay? Is it not? 
We'll see. I, I think I think you probably should get it like in to be built apartments like everybody else in China. All those people who are just waiting on their apartment buildings that they put the payments down on to be built because of their real estate crisis right now. Just a future apartment at some point in time, whenever the companies get the money to actually go through with the construction again. Right. There you go. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so we got some breaking news during this, Thorin. Are you ready? Go on. We at Last Free Nation have been nominated for Content Creator of the Year in the Esports Awards. Okay. Oh, we are content creator. I thought we were a group <laughs> of content creators, but okay. I guess it works. <laughs> Problem is, those awards that people don't know, those ones are always a bit scoffed, like personality of the year, content creator. Like they, just, they seem to just do a random distribution in those, don't they? I mean, it's true that in terms of esports shows, we are the biggest content creator at esports. Uh, unfortunately, you know, we're going up against uh, Gump, OTK, which I don't even understand how OTK is an esports content creator. What is that like? Uh, that's Asmongold's content. Oh, right. Okay. Network. They don't make esports content. Uh, I will dominate, of course, part of Last Free Nation. Very deserving, I think, of the nomination. Gowless as well. Uh, but yeah, there is, <laughs> there's, there's no hope for us because we actually. Well, the joke here is how about here twice, Anna? Because the score esports, which is like a remix of my content, and then there's Last Free Nation, <laughs> which is my, my current content. So, do you like to watch it now? What a few years? There you go. Vote for your preference. Basically, score esports like reruns of my content from years ago, the old classic Golden Girls episodes, you know. Whereas now I'm onto my new shit, Anna. Last Free Nation. That's like fucking Sons of Anarchy or something. Are they still stealing from you to this day? No, no, they stopped. Here's the thing. All you need to know is this, Monty. Even though they did use a really shit hot lawyer to make sure they didn't actually have to do any copyright strikes. All you need to know is once I copyright striked 70 videos and they had to use this lawyer to get them unfucked, they very quickly <laughs> never posted another thing of mine ever again. It's the same as I did it to a small guy recently, the guy I was telling you about. Oh, don't worry. I just told him, get all your stuff off my off your YouTube channel, all my shit by tomorrow, or I'm just going to copyright strike the whole channel. And it wasn't a debate i was like you know and it's like just do it and it did and i noticed when i woke up the next day mate it was all gone because he knew you only need three of those strikes and i could just issue as many as there are videos so sadly with the score esports we couldn't beat them they are just so evil they have <laughs> even the fucking they, they have the system on their side man there's nothing well like that. It's they also they also have a massive uh traditional sports wing right uh, so I mean, they have even more resources than people nah, might be aware totally. of if you just as long follow as they them don't do it anymore. Who gives a shit, right? As long as they don't use the clips, just fuck off with them clips. <laughs> don't ever use any clips on our channel either. Don't don't do it. I mean, you can <laughs> transform it, of course, use it for like fair use. But sure. if you're just going to use the clip and not do anything, then fuck you. We'll definitely take your shit down. Also, at least have the decency to link back to the original video with a timestamp, guys. Because I had to I had to wake up this morning, Thorin, to the fact that. The clips from the Monty and Wolf show have gone viral in Korea uh, with the interview that we did with Arnold about the um, the sporting financial regulations, okay. a.k.a. luxury tax soft cap uh, from this last week, because the Koreans are pretty outraged about like the faker exemption rule, apparently. And so we had a discussion on the show about that and everything else. And so now, of course, they've made a bunch of YouTube videos translating the content with no links back to the original video. Come on, guys. How fucking hard is it? Like, I know many of you don't speak English at a level in order to have a complex, you know, understand the complex conversation. But perhaps some of them would. And you could at least be halfway decent and link back to the original video. Um, but yeah, uh, 
by by the way, guys, if you are interested on that, I think it is worth going back because it's a long, long conversation with Arnold. But he spilled some really interesting details in there, Thorin, including the fact that all LCK teams are losing millions of dollars a year. Uh, they have the highest average salary for players of any league in the world. They have gone above LPL right now, which isn't <clears throat> too ridiculous because they splashed out on some big name players and they only have 10 teams in the league. Well, that seems so, well, yeah. yeah, they only have 10 teams in the league and, and teams are just spending more on average per player. Um, but there's also just like no real hope in the future, even by tamping down costs, which they're hoping that this will do. Uh, for any level of sustainability and that teams are basically just going to be doomed to, to continue to lose billions of dollars a year until Riot comes up with uh, other solutions in terms of revenue generation. Because they can't bridge the gap on on uh, on sponsorship alone. This is why all those like corp fucking arguments about the LCS walkout was so childish, Monty. You know, the people who were just like, well, no, the owners are all just greedy, making money. And I was like, well, they don't make money. They lose money. In fact, they lose a lot of money. Well, then they should all just be, have no business because they don't know what they're doing. It's like brilliant. As you've noticed now by the, by that logic, no one in the entire world of, think about this, right? This is how stupid fans are. So every businessman in all of League of Legends esports who's been running these teams for years, none of them understands the basics about business but people on reddit know everything give me a fucking break the problem is these systems are all interconnected like china buys from korea and lcs buys from so the the main issue they have at the moment is not only do you need all these salary caps all this jazz they're bringing in but you have to like switch some of the inputs if all the inputs are crazy then you're gonna get all these crazy outputs so to me I, like I, it was long overdue that all these leagues needed to fix something like you couldn't have continued on like this like it just is a race to the bottom whoever just can't get the vc eventually just bows out like that's like some one of those old school fucking you know back in the day before they had the rules for no limit hold them like in the movie if i just bet like my whole ranch now you have to go and get your friend to have a ranch to bet so you can either <laughs> you have the winning hand like by the way shout out whoever did invent the no limit hold them no rules so it's just like are you i can only bet as much as you've got because otherwise apparently that was just ruining all the games in those movies <laughs> that stupid well, plot you know i think the other part of the problem for a team like gen g is that because they are more of a Western team that relies on sponsorships, right, in order to stay afloat, um, and they were funded by VC, it's different than a lot of the traditional Korean teams like T1, which is owned, you know, now it's a joint venture with Comcast, but historically was owned by SK Telecom. KT, which is owned by, you know, Korea Telecom. Um, these companies, like Hanwha is also another massive company in Korea. And so they're okay taking losses because they take losses on their basketball teams and their baseball teams because it's it's fundamentally, it's as if they're running the team to pay for their own sponsorship, but it's cheaper to pay for your own sponsorship when you actually own the team instead, right? Because you're not paying another entity to potentially make a profit off of it, right? So if some of these orgs are seeing, you know, good value from their marketing, I would imagine that Faker provides insane value to SK Telecom in terms of marketing, um, then it does make sense for them to continue like losing millions of dollars in the same way that Riot loses millions of dollars by running esports leagues when re in reality it's a marketing exercise for their own microtransactions in games and by creating something that causes their player base to stick around for a longer period of time, be more engaged, and then spend more money, right? So it, it is a bit different because... Unfortunately, there are just different goals of different teams within the LCK um, because some teams like Gen.G are built more like 
Western business, esports businesses, and some teams are from the legacy of Brood War and from the legacy of Korean sports, which always has been at its core a marketing exercise for massive multinational conglomerate companies. So I do think I do think it's there is there's a fundamental conflict. But also, like, obviously, this needs to be more sustainable. And the reason why I wanted to get this message out into the open a little bit was that so much of the focus has been around LCS performance, right? Because the Western owners are all being very public about it. And numbers are obviously down. But I think what people don't realize is that while it's obvious the LCS is in crisis because of falling viewership, um, to the point of almost irrelevance, losing out in terms of viewership to the Brazilian League, which isn't even a major region, um, the, the venture capital and sponsor market uh, drying up in the West. Um, it's it's more shocking to hear about Korea when Korea's viewership is huge compared to LCS. Um, it, you know, I'm pretty sure even the English stream, just because they do so many more matches, has more hours viewed by a pretty large margin than the LCS does. Um, they're doing a lot more games, right? So it makes sense. I'm not saying the average concurrent viewership is higher. Um, but especially if you get into, it's broadcast in so many other languages, right? And that means that the footprint of the LCK is absolutely enormous. And so to hear that those teams are doing badly and that those teams are reaching the point where they can't pay their franchise fees anymore, that just goes to show you how kind of thick the entire LOL Esports ecosystem is right now. Without the media rights, with without larger sponsorships, um, and without any cut of digital revenue from Riot itself and from their in-game transactions, it's going to be really hard to make League of Legends uh, an esport that's sustainable in the long term. So, pretty rough out there. That's the way it is, Matt. <laughs> the real problem here is the industry doesn't have to be as big as it is. People just want it to. This is why the worst impulse in esports always has been. It goes hand in hand, unfortunately, with venture capital thinking is all or bust. That's never what you wanted. If you wanted sustainability, by definition, you want to gradually build out what works and establish it and iterate upon it and then like scale it up, et cetera. Instead, all they want to do in esports is everything has to be the biggest thing ever, the most, the most number from here, the highest concurrent. If you keep doing that, people are always just going to take the shortcut of just pumping money in and just hoping that gets you there. Whereas like the thing, like the league angle to me is. This is why it annoys me that they had such bad formats for so many years. It's like, guys, it's already amazing. You've got 10 years out of this. Like, I've had 10 years of worlds coming up on this one, like real ones, like obviously technically from 2012 anyway. So like the idea we haven't gotten some of these parts fixed is, is ridiculous. Like basically people just burned like the better part of a decade just having a war of attrition with each other. That was all it was, I, we're just jostling for position. I mean, I think what's most outrageous about what Riot Esports has done was they just thought the good times economically would continue forever, as far as I can tell, right? Where they didn't have to make aggressive moves to fix the problems that they had because it was just going good enough and oh, they, they weren't thought, ready. When they got the FTX deal, they thought they were geniuses, mate. I bet they thought, oh, of course. Crack it. Yeah, look, I always knew we were right about our approach. Yeah, I guarantee. So, I, I, you know, I think the issue is like you have to look at the, the history of kind of the global economy when it came to League of Legends. Now, they came, they released the, a free-to-play game in 2009. 
oh yeah, remember what was happening in 2009? Oh, that's right. The bank co collapse. You know, it's shortly after the bank collapse, they release a free-to-play game. Well, that's going to be very attractive for people who may not be in the best economic conditions. And then as the, you know, they were very fortunate in terms of timing when it came to the rise of streaming, which happened basically concurrently, uh, Twitch and, and like Own3D, these streaming platforms were on the up and up as their esports started to take hold in like 2010 through 2012. And we haven't had a major recession, right? So it was all venture capital pumping into tech companies, pumping into esports. It was all these sponsorships because of the explosive growth surrounding Twitch, where we saw in esports audiences that were never, <coughs> that were, excuse me, never possible prior to the boom of Twitch, because, you know, streaming was not a technology that was easily accessible to people. You had to go to like the Golm TV player to watch StarCraft or some niche sites. And at that point in time, uh, they just never assumed that there would be any kind of downturn, right? And they never prepared for the future in a meaningful way that would anticipate, well, what happens when we do actually have to, um, we do have, actually have to have a, a sustainable ecosystem or a media rights deal that makes sense. And now it's gone. I mean, all those opportunities have just vanished. And so it's just kind of, it feels like a lot of wasted time and a lack of foresight about what happens when the VC dries up and what happens to the ecosystem and what happens to the teams. And there were no protections in place. It was only after this happened that we hear John Needham say, oh yeah, we're going to open up new, you know, digital, digital, uh, like digital revenue streams for teams. What are they, John? What? You announced that like six months ago. We've heard fucking nothing. We've heard fucking nothing about what opportunities you're going to be opening up for teams, what digital goods are going to be available. Where are they? Where are they? <laughs> well, and this though, the teams are too scared to say anything about it. They've just come through all that walkout shit. They just keep in the low profile. They're the kid at the back of school, try not to get the attention so you don't get called on for the questions. Keep your head down, wait till the class, the bell goes, then run out really quickly. That's what everyone's doing right now. <laughs> well, you know, at least we're here to provide the blunt truth, Thorin, uh, when it comes to esports. The only people you could rely on for that. Uh, but also, that ties in to our delightful sponsor, the Freeze Pipe. Because they have a new piece of glass, and that is the glycerin blunt tip, almost as blunt as us. Uh, and this is actually a really cool new piece they've got going on. They're actually introducing a lot of new products uh, yep. over the coming weeks that are going to be pretty exciting for you guys. So this one's brand new. And what it does is this one, you only have to pop in the freezer for 20 minutes, and you can just leave it in there between sessions. So you can just always have it in your freezer. It works with any joint or blunt. Of course, the stuff you could just go buy pre-rolled at the dispensary, and it's compatible with vape pens with 510 thread cartridges. So whatever you want, it's a nice little piece. If you've been looking for to pick something up from the freeze pipe, that is brand new, easy to take over and to your friend's place. You don't have to worry about having a massive yeah. one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, really great. So there you go. We're all blunt here on Last Free Nation. Or one way or another. 10% off freezepipe.com. <laughs> the freezepipe.com. Right. <laughs> or hoarder, 10% off the freezepipe.com promo code LFN.
Uh, so if you've been looking for some some upgrades, they're also going to have some really cool other new products that we'll be talking about in the coming weeks. It's it's actually insane how many new products they've been making. <laughs> and we will we do another bot- one of those like episodes where we react to stuff. We'll do that in a couple of weeks. Yes, we'll we'll do one of those soon for sure. Um, where we'll 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 source some more cringe esports content for you guys. We will use our freeze pipes, and then we will uh, we will enjoy that. So something, definitely something to, definitely something to look forward to. So thank you very much to the Freeze Pipe. Again, guys, the best way to support us is to support our sponsors. So if you've been thinking about getting a Freeze Pipe, now's a great time. And thank you. Um, all right. What other topics have we, have we got on the docket today, Thorin? We should probably talk about KT versus Gen G, considering that that was a more disappointing series than we uh yeah, that might be one of the craziest betting angles we've ever found because like i said that wasn't even just hey guys look like the underdog in a close match is like got way big odds to me they were the favorite man i bet that like it was a favorite i just got to bet with like two point x odds like i can't even believe that that angle was there that just shows you how being undefeated like gen g was just it becomes a crazy like mind demon in people's minds they couldn't somehow they were this is what i can't get monty they watched gen g play those last few weeks and couldn't conceive they could ever lose like not only could they but kt was exactly the team that was going to do it i agree though it definitely wasn't the banger it should have been it should have been a way better series than that I mean, especially because KT was literally on an 11 match win streak themselves, yeah. right? They were virtually undefeated. The game they lost was their second match of the season against Gen G. And as we've said many times, that was the game where the static shiv punishment occurred. KT blew Gen G out of the water in the first game of that series. And then there was the scandal of, oh, aiming bought the static shiv. So he has to go back to base and sell it. They lose that game. They lose the third game. Look super tilted. Also, entirely different meta. I mean, it's two patches back. Uh, so we've seen a lot of shifts since then, but yeah, I, I think KT, it was, it was crazy. I, we did a, we did a parlay on esports bet with their D plus series. It, all in all, we made like a thousand USDT last week just on KT winning. Um, so they, they really, I think delivered in, in terms of their performance so far. And as I've said repeatedly, this isn't getting excited for KT guys. This, this iteration of KT has been very good since kind of the latter half of the spring split. Remember that they were, they should have beaten T1 in the like upper brackets close, of the playoffs. Doing it that close. Yeah. I mean, they had a huge advantage in game number five that they definitely should have been able to close. And now we're seeing a meta that continuously seems to be extremely good for KT overall. They know what all the power picks are. I think they are leading the meta game as far as Korea goes. And, you know, they're getting compositions that I don't think, you know, many teams in the LPL would be willing to give over. Uh, I think KT is, is much more similar to an LPL team when it comes to draft priority. And, and what's interesting is we're seeing them even debut new champions. Uh, BDD had his first Jace game ever in the history of career, which is very strange when you think this guy is like kind of like a poke specialist in many ways for his career. Like how do you go through being one of, if not the most famous Zoe player in the world and never have played a fucking game of Jace. That is so strange. Uh, But he played a great Jace game, right? He looked incredibly comfortable on this champion and you see why it is one of the highest you know, win percentages in professional play across major regions. I mean, Same thing with you know, everyone who's a monster just smashes on that mid lane JS when they get it. They're unbelievable. Yeah. 
And it it really is a extremely strong champion right now. And just like aiming realized before everybody else in the LCK that you should just fucking first pick Kaisa whenever you can. And people might say, well, is that, you know, are they just riding the really OP champions? And the answer is no, because we've seen now what happens when these players get targeted and the depth of their champion pools. The problem is it's just impossible to ban out KT right now because they are going to get some crazy strong picks no matter what you do and they are so good at taking powerful meta champion selections and then just snowballing them into brutal wins so this is just a fucking good team right now um and keen is keen is performing continues to perform like he should be the mvp of this league um you know genji i think underperformed on the day like i don't think this version of of genji is the same one that's going to show up in playoffs and i think once these teams inevitably hit each other again at some point in LCK in the in the in their playoffs, this will be a much closer game. But right now, it does seem like KT is kind of definitively the best team in Korea. What's the hype thing for me is if they make it to the final, well, the a bunch of these players aren't super experienced winners who've won LCK titles, etc. Like there's also that factor. It's like even though KT is the best team now. I'm going to be interested to see who holds their nerve in that final, mate. I mean, if you're looking at it right now, Gen G can lose, KT can lose. It, it could be a pretty exciting one. <laughs> you have double limb I, opponent as well. You might get to see it twice. You might get to see that match twice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Like, I think, what's your take on Gen G these days? Because there was so much hype around Doran because he had better performances against bad teams. But then now we see the KT game and it's kind of an underwhelming performance by him, especially to the dominance of Keen. Um, you know, Peanut, who certainly was in the MVP conversation, didn't really have a, the same early game impact as he's had against some, again, some of the worst teams in the league throughout Gen G's run. And, um, you know, a, a lot of it was kind of just down to Pace being able to carry with the leads that he had and he couldn't put in the superstar carry performance particularly in game number two like he had advantages and he had to be the one who carried this team instead we saw him getting picked off uh before fights even started and more or less kind of throwing the advantage that he had away through bad macro so it it, it really felt bad watching genji here and i think they're in a similar position to top esports where it's awesome that you have all of these players and when Doran is good, he can be very good. But what is he good enough and consistent enough to actually do damage against some of the top teams in the world? And I think the answer is just no. The problem with Gen G is like I always thought, even in the spring, like it's stylistically what was impressive about them as a team. They're not the like all star roster like JDG is. Like if you look at their team, like you say, Doran's just like in reality, in a perfect world, Doran would just be on like the fifth best team in the LCK. He's not a bad player, but he's no, there's nowhere near like some monster top laner. So you already don't really have the wing condition out of top lane. Peanut himself has. He just has issues in game fives. We've all seen it. And he just has times where he just decides he can't play a certain meta champions. Even though I think his skill set's totally there. You see some some carry games he looks good on still. But he's just decided he's that sort of jungler now. Trophy's mega still. No problems there. Pace is good. He's just not ruler. He's not some like absolute. He's not, he's not even Jackie Love, mate. He's just a very good AD carry. So the, I think the issue with their team is just like they're, they're more than most. Unlike teams like Dan One, they, they can't just pop off individually and win the game. Like they actually need. To as a team be all on the same page, everything nailed down, and some bunch of their players aren't that experienced. Like 
Pace is still a rookie, essentially. Like, I don't blame him. I think he's performing fine. Just the problem is, LCK is a bit weak at the moment. So they are just a clear-cut top two team right now. There's no contenders. It's never KT. So I think they're just essentially, it's kind of unfair. Like, you know, in, I would think if they were like the fourth best team or the third best team, no one would have any complaints about Gen G. They'd just be really good. Look how they re-upped and brought people in and repositioned them. But if you want them to be like, remember, they were number one in the LCK for most of this split. If you want them to be number one team in the world, they're not going to bear up very well on that you know like they can't they can't compare to jdg right and i think the problem you know the problem with with lck in general is that after ruler leaves this team and i again i don't want to take anything away from pays because he is a phenomenal rookie talent but he's still a rookie talent and nobody expected this team to come back and win spring think about oh, think about no where way. we were it was T1 running back their roster again. They were incredibly dominant in spring. We saw some really big roster moves like Deft to, to D+, right? Which we all thought is, you know, oh man, this is now an even more stacked roster. Could this team actually be back in the mix for a title right now? Now, I will say there was less hype around KT um, as opposed to last year. Just because BDD and Keen were coming for, from some really bad individual performances last year. So the ceiling of KT we knew was going to be very high, but we didn't know if Keen and BDD were basically washed forever or whether they were going to be, you know, kind of redeemable. They did get Lehens over there, right? So Genji replacing their their entire, you know, their entire bot lane was also potentially going to be an issue for them. But my point is like, if you look at this in retrospect, it's like, like you say, like Gen G is definitely a playoff team in the LCK, but is this objectively a downgrade from their roster that smashed summer last year? But yes, it is. And so um, they've overperformed expectations and big credit to that to Delight and Pays, who have both been, you know, really quite good. Um, but they haven't been able to get, like, if this team is the one that's running things right now, it just goes to show how much of a disaster, you know, T1 has become. Um, and the underwhelming nature of D plus Kia, uh, as well as just kind of roster construction in general in the LCS, like Hanwa has a lot of money and they got Viper, but my God, why were you buying Zeka and King in at top dollar? Like this could be a much better team with the amount of money that they're spending. You didn't need to get Zeka and King. And that was a horrible GMing mistake. No, it was terrible, mate. Like the joke there is you absolutely bought those players at their complete peak and they're never going to reach it again. And anybody okay. could have told you that, too. That's what's yes. so baffling about this is that that was known information, right? Like, nobody expected the King and Zeka of Worlds to be able to maintain that form. It's completely unreasonable. Um, and yet, here they are with massive contracts from Hanwha. And, I mean, I just objectively, I think if you... But Dudu on Hanwha Life, they would be a much better team. Like, you know, there are which, some... Which there is are some the name gems. of the top player of Kwangdong Freaks, in case people don't know. That's not just a mad <laughs> non-secret about putting Dudu on Hanwha Life. <laughs> well, I mean, obviously there's some jokes about some Dudu that was put on Hanwha sure. Life, but it's been cleaned up Enough about Kingen, exactly. He, <laughs> he won that World's Fair Square, Monty. 
Colin's all the information I have. Uh, uh, Of course. And also uh, world's final MVP, because that's the world I have to live in. Apparently (laughs) it's the idea deserve it. Guys player flame will always be considered like overrated. Cause you never like one world. Then this motherfucker is the MVP of world king and MVP. (laughs) I can't handle it. What, what, what a time to be alive, right? What a time to be alive. It's too funny. Um, but yeah, it, like I, it's Genji, and you know, Genji also wasn't supposed to win spring. Obviously, that was that was T one's kind of shocking upset in those finals. Um, so I mean, it just it just overall feels bad uh, to be a to be an LCK fan right now because it's almost like there's not even going to be a way for these teams to dramatically improve before Worlds, even though they have a lot of time to get better because. The level of competition in the LCK, like, yeah, Doran kind of sucks, but Doran's still a top, th- you know, top three, top four, top laner in the league. The the top lane pool is just really weak in LCK right now. So how do you get better, right? How do bring, you get better? Bring, bring Summit back from Team Liquid. Bring Summit back. <laughs> might might be an it. interesting strategy, actually. Wouldn't that be cool? I'd like to see him play on one of these teams, mate. Yeah. Um, I mean... Potentially, I mean, I, the, the dream is always like that Impact goes back to Korea at some point in time, right? I would love to see Impact 10 years deep in his career come onto a top Korean roster at this point in time. That would be a very interesting experiment. Um, I don't think he's ever going to do it. <laughs> his his life, in, his life in NA is just too good. His life in NA is just too good. <laughs> but yeah, I think, I, I, you know, for the most part, Guys, the the next couple of weeks of LCK are going to be somewhat somewhat of a wash as we come down to the end of the regular season. There are like a couple important matches, but this also just goes to show that you know the LCK schedule for the amount of competition right now that's present in the league is uh, it's just too much. It's too many games. It's it's oversaturated. We don't need double round robin best of threes like. Basically, the most exciting thing that we're watching with an LCK right now is how how bad is T1 going to get, even though they're basically locked for playoffs. They could lose all the rest of their matches, be 7-11, and 11, and still probably make playoffs. And then which of Liv Sandbox, Kwangdong, Nongshimin, and Breon are fighting to be the sixth playoff seed. They are all at 10 losses, so we are guaranteed to have a playoff seed under 50% win rate. And which of them is going to be set up to be slaughtered immediately? So we don't even get a good first round of the playoffs, right? It's not like this banger that's going on at LPL right now that it has some amazing games, even down into like the fifth and sixth seeds. Uh, this has been, it's going to be, it's going to be a bummer. We're basically yeah, just waiting for top you four. Think, surely the storyline just is that player Faker will come back for the playoffs. Like he of won't come back until be. then, but then the first series will be back. They'll even have a chance to get, they might even be able to win that first series. They'll have a chance to win. It'll get the hype again. And it, whether they make it or not, it'll at least give you one last run. One last. Long yeah. Run. I, I, you know, I'd be, I'd be surprised if T1 made worlds at this point in time, but if Faker snaps back into a good form immediately and can guide his team, be cool there's story, no reason. Right? I mean, there's no reason why they can't beat D plus with better macro in the late game, right? Like that's how you beat D plus. It's certainly a possibility. Um, it it would be a cool storyline, and obviously, like not having Faker at Worlds is a big, is always a bummer. I mean, just for the viewership draw and the narratives alone, it's fun to at least have T one there because of how huge the brand in brand is and how important it is, um, you know, to the the esports. 
basically to have him in contention for a title. The thing is, I just looked it up. Faker's contract runs until the end of 2025. Like, he's so oh, yeah. lucky. Because if this was the year it was running out, mate, imagine the fucking leverage. You just have more <laughs> for a fucking barrel right now. They'd have to sign you. you the old fucking orgs just going under if you don't. It's over. <laughs> I mean, they're definitely changing their roster next year, right? There's no way they can continue to run this roster back. I think they're just mental boom to the maximum degree. That's you fine, need... though. To me, what you do now is this, Monty. It's obvious to me. You just pick one of the two. You pick probably Zeus or Gumiushi. Pick the one you want and then just build around the new the new direction, you know? Uh, I mean, the one you, want. Gum- you can have either. Gumiushi's- Guma Yushi has been the best player on T1 this split, right? He's actually shockingly been the most consistent out of everybody. And I don't want to throw Zayas under the bus because he's so young that I think he can still have, he has a lot of time and ability to overcome some of his mental blocks when it comes to performing in big games. But at a certain point, like, if it's a normal game, we see him dumpster some of the best top laners in the world. But when the pressure's on, man, that's when he just vanishes. And it's not that he's bad, but you can't have a main threat on your roster just no longer be a threat. Compare that to a player like Bin, who just fucking shows up in the big games and absolutely claps people, right? <laughs> that's the guy you need. And so whatever is going on within Zayas's own mind is what needs to be resolved. And you have to make a decision as to whether you at T1 think you can do that or if it's even possible with this player in order to make that happen because something's got to change. And there's no there's no issue with the skill of the players on T1. The issue exists in their own brains. And that's a tough one to solve. Perhaps impossible. I think there's so many angles you can go with on this team, mate. I mean, essentially, the joke is the only ones you don't replace is Faker and Carrier. Aside from that, it depends which angle you want to go. Like, here's the thing. I think Owner's pretty good, but he definitely also has the... He has at least one or two games every big series. He just fucks up inexplicably and ints for no reason. So if you had a better jungler, I don't hate that. If something like Tarzan comes back. that's a, The good news is you can essentially go any direction from this team. Like, I really think you could... So you only need one or two pieces. You could be right back to the top of LCK. Easy. I think yeah, there's so think, many options there. I think people will look at Carrier's recent performance and kind of doubt him, but Carrier is still, I think, an absolutely amazing player and a franchise player, and I don't think you get rid of him, especially because the synergy in the bot lane is so good right now. I think, you know, there's a lot of junglers that could do a similarly good job to owner within the, you know, within this roster. And he, and he has always been the most replaceable player on this iteration of T1. Um, so I don't know. I, I, Tarzan would clearly be amazing, but I think the argument is if you bring Tarzan back, like why not bring Scout? Cause Scout's just a better player than Faker right now. Like it, uh, just objectively replacing Faker and owner with Tarzan and Scout would make this T1 roster probably a lot better than it is right oh, now. Faker roll swaps to jungle. Then Scout joins us mid. <laughs> yeah, the Faker shot calling still. That's pretty good. That's that true. Work. I, I mean, and, I think... And remember, Faker's so good, he essentially duo-queued with himself and played mid and jungle and won three worlds doing it. So, <laughs> not bad. <laughs> yeah, you know, you you either retire early or live long enough to watch yourself become Bengi, right? That's... <laughs> Faker's just a, a, a macro-warding machine at the stage of his career as a juggler. Oh, man. That would be that would be quite the wild turnaround. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, there's there's obviously a lot that needs to be done with T1. The fortunate thing about T1 is they always have the 
the pick of the Everyone litter when it join. comes. Yeah. Yeah. They, you know, they have insane draw. They can so, even do that shit that the other teams just can't do, Monty, which is if you're the player, like a scout example, who just wants to come back to Korea, you might even accept a lower contract because it's T1. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be the craziest buyout of all time. Like, it's a good spot to go to, obviously. Yeah. And there's also a world where Faker just becomes coach of this team officially, even though he's been coach basically the entire time. I, I, I don't Seems think like there's obvious a transition at this point in time. I, I don't think there's a world where Faker doesn't go into coaching at a certain point in time, right? Um, whether that is now or later. And it's he a brings bit on of a... LS as his strategic coach. <laughs> That'll really blow your minds. And then here's the oh. thing. Faker's so gangster that the reason why they can't send the trucks is he buys the biggest truck in all of Korea and says LS <laughs> is my coach. And, that puts on and even though oh, they just bring loads, but there's a tiny truck. So there's this giant, like, obviously the side of a side skyscraper. <laughs> I like your alternate universe of, yeah, of Faker coaching. Basically, in my that. version, you, you set down in, Sean, as you go past, instead of like Blade Runner, instead of that like it, vaguely Asian woman, like at the beginning of Blade, that's LS, like, oh, welcome to T1. <laughs> we will be banning our three today. Like, yeah, I've I've mid only. Exactly. I love that shit. It's actually oh, okay, you hope Scout actually does come back to the LCK at some point in time. It'd be whack if the only players in the LPL. Come on, man. Everyone's going to have at the end at least a couple of years in LCK just to finish up the career. I don't know what you can do in the LPL. He's done everything. MVP, I mean, the real, first team. The real dream is Rookie comes back. Fucking come back. Like, imagine if... <laughs> he's, I don't think Rookie's ever going to come back. Want him for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Rookie's ever coming back. Scout at least has a, has a shot. Scout almost did come back. Yeah. Uh, That's why there was cool. the Yeah, there was that news recently, uh, if you guys missed it, where... Scout was, there has been contract drama uh, around Scout and so people saying like a couple years ago that he had signed a deal with an LCK team and then uh, that was in conflict with a deal he had already signed with an LPL team. So he might have signed with two teams at the same time. Now, I don't know for sure that that team was KT, but I do know that KT two years ago was very aggressively pursuing Scout. I would imagine there were other teams that were also obviously aggressively pursuing Scout and he, he may have signed it. Yeah, he may have he may have signed a contract with one of those teams instead, but KT was very very close. I know uh, from my my contacts in in the Korean you know kind of scene uh, from from getting Scout and trying to build a super team around him, and then when they failed to get Scout, that's when they had their more uh, I would say lower budget roster from last year. Um, uh, that you know obviously was kind of just a mid mid table not the most exciting team you know trying to play aria and vikla in the mid lane instead they, they had some pretty good upside by the end of summer but certainly uh it wasn't the kind of super team that kt was looking to create at the time i mean just imagine if scout played on like hanwa instead of zika look how much fucking good that team would be immediately <laughs> instantaneously they'd be really good <laughs> I mean, I kind of don't want to punish Scout with Clid after having watched. Clid's never coming like, back now, mate. They're never letting him come back now. Come on. The Grizzly <laughs> no. guy looks way better. Come on, surely. Grizzly does look better. Um, it, it there's He's still obviously a rookie, and there's still a long way for him to go. Um, but I do think that in the long term, that's going to be an upgrade. But, I, you know, the pleasure of watching LNG and the reason why I love watching LNG is just it's almost purely because of Scout and Tarzan synergy and what they can do on the map early game and the pathing and the decisions that they make. So 
I think my my personal nightmare would have been having the the scout clid combo because it it would suck all the joy that I had from watching LNG over the last you know couple of years. Well, year, whatever. <laughs> um, so yeah. Uh, anything else we want to touch on this week before we do viewer questions? Kind of hit most of the major regions. I guess we can do some about LEC for the remainder of the playoffs. We don't know a lot of the matchups yet. Um, G two obviously looking pretty disappointing against XL, not the level of dominance, uh, kind of a, a, a weird meta read as well. Uh, seemingly wanting to take some counter picks instead of just picking the power picks in the meta and falling flat with them at times. I mean, it looked like they made it way harder than they needed to. Like, I don't know if this was them trying to experiment, but like, to me, they could have just been very cynical in the draft and just won this way exactly. easier. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's my take on this series also. It was. Oh, they did almost fuck it up. They couldn't. They could, absolutely could have lost the series. It was doable. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's the upside, good. obviously, being like no one else in Europe does know how to play a cog ball like them. Mate. Like G two just has that nailed that comp. They haven't. Yeah, nailed. it's 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 really fun to watch that when they don't get completely blasted in yeah. the early game. But you know, I think G two. Why why I think. I, you know, we were rating them very highly was because they do have a lot of flexibility in the draft. They do have very deep champion pools. They do have very specific counter picks. They're obviously the ones that are <laughs> kind of debuting the, the trundle into Maokai stuff, the Lucian into, into Jay stuff, right? Uh, the Callista was banned in this series, but Callista into Kaisa. So I think they, they figured out some really good ways to get isolated preferential matchups in 1v1s and turn those into giant snowballs. Like, big credit for Digi2 for being able to do this and having the depth with their players to make this happen. The problem is, is like, you don't feel like, you, you don't feel like they're getting the power picks themselves. It's instead that they're waiting for their opponents to take the power picks and then being cute and trying to counter them. Whereas, like, I mean, I would just say, just take the fucking, like, why are we, guys, why, why are we why are we first picking Rel? Just fucking take the Kaisa. You know what I mean? Just fucking take the Jace. Just take it fucking take the Maokai. Like, do do we have to do things this way? I get that you can win this series and you can win games because you have some, you know, you can make trades with counterpicks in the draft, but it just feels like they're prioritizing the counterpicks instead of doing what KT does and just like if it's strong, just fucking take it. Just fucking take it. And I don't know if they can't play these things. I doubt that that's true i think they can probably play these things or whether they just like to be unpredictable and that's why it's going on but i hope we do see a shift from them in series moving forward they should still win the lec that's pretty much hands down just the question <laughs> is are they gonna play yes. with the food or not yeah and i will say like I, I talked about this last week as well where i said i think Fnatic just has a really bad read on the meta after switching patches and I think that holds up, right? Uh, the the second series against SK was much more convincing. It was unlikely that Humidoy was going to have a, another super bad day. I think that as you go into Fnatic versus Heretics, they should be a really, really heavy favorite. Um, and Heretics has been has 
definitely exceeded expectations as the Peter Dunn rosters often do, but there's a limit, I think, to how good this Heretics roster can be, and I think it's pretty much end of the road here. Now, I think the interesting thing is whether Fnatic or Excel win, because Excel at least has the has the, uh, a better sense of teamwork and coordination than Fnatic, and that could potentially be an upset. That could potentially be an upset. Yeah, the problem is, I think, just for the hopes that anything's going to happen for Worlds, you've got to hope Fnatic's really good. That's like the one last hope, yes. because Excel's all right. Like, like, like I said, I actually think they do deserve to go to Worlds at this point in time. They look like out the other teams. If they get into the regional, they'll probably get through it. So I don't hate on it. It's just the problem is, I don't think there's going to be a banger final, personally. It just looks like G2 will roll over whoever they play. Yeah. And that's in a world where Rex doesn't just, like, upset Fnatic and ruin the whole fucking playoff run, essentially, which also could happen. It's not impossible. Yep. Yeah. Um, so I, I think uh, LEC playoffs still, in spite of a, a close and fun series to watch, even if it was a little bit sloppy from G2, uh, it still looks more or less like a foregone conclusion because you can see the ways in which G2 could improve very slightly or change their strategy going in. And they would have had a much more dominant series. And it's these are very, I think, easy fixes to make for them especially now that they have another week off to kind of refine perhaps some of the more meta strategies on these patches. So yeah, um, I guess we'll, we'll just see only a couple of LCS games this week. Obviously they're, they're not going to be probably big bangers. I mean, it's TL energy and EG TSM outside shot. I guess that TSM wins, but EG, I think pretty comfortably the favorites, especially in a best of five. And it's not going to be until the following weekend that we get to see liquid energy is yeah. the match of the week is the match of the week and should be i think pretty pretty probably tl 3-1 would, would be my, my check out competitive edge on the esports bet channel <laughs> that's right check out competitive edge um we're i think uh it's going to wrap up our our little discussion this week uh we'll take a quick break guys and when we come back we'll do viewer questions Right, we're back for some viewer questions. We source them via our Discord subscribers. So if you go to the Last Foundation Discord and subscribe there, you can find out more information by asking around there. Then you can ask questions for this show. Obviously, we've teased this before. We'll probably at some point in the future, bear in mind we do like the show with Richard that's on the LFN Culture Channel, Foreplay, which is the one where we rewatch movies. We'll probably do some at some point on the Culture Channel. That'll be like a little AMA with maybe me, Richard, yeah, and yeah. Monty, just because I notice a lot of them our culture sort of type of questions. It's just that we haven't yet like figured out how to transition that out. But for now, obviously you can ask pretty much anything you want. As long as it's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I know a lot of people also don't even watch SI anymore. They just watch the Q and a section if they're not into esports. So shout out to you guys. Uh, are you thinking about or planning any larger scale historical esports content? I was watching Ken Burns jazz documentary and thought it would be great to have something like that for esports as a whole or some specific game. Well, my friend, uh, we would love to do more long-form historical esports documentary content. However, that is very expensive to make. And I will say that we have had some pitches out to major sponsors in order to find money to do this kind of content. It is cheaper for us to do this kind of content than most other people because we have a wealth of talent that know and have lived through the history of esports, especially Thorin, um, who are, you know, the best talking heads and best narrators uh, in the world for this kind of stuff. Um, but it is just, you know, we don't, we would have to hire outside producers in order to make this content, which means that we would need a budget to do that. And so we would love to have a major sponsor 
who would be interested in partnering us on this style of content because we can make it for cheaper than anybody else. But even then, it is it is expensive. So just depends on if we get money, basically. Basically, if you watch that thing that, like, I can't remember if it was the BBC made it, for that, like, I Am Rio major, like, Live to Win, where it was all the fucking players in CSGO, those cost so much money and take for real months of editing time. So, like, it's a bit like, essentially, if you don't know why people, why it's so hard to be a Hollywood director, because the cost of a basic movie is so insanely high up. Like, the difference between being hired and having no work at all is enormous, but it doesn't have to mean you're bad at the job. So the, the problem is you've picked probably the most prohibitively expensive thing we can do. Like, that's the yeah. only thing you can't do for nothing, essentially. Like, the joke earlier about the score spots is they get to do it because they just steal everyone's footage. Like, we'd have to actually film some of our own. Yeah, and I think, look, I'm a huge Ken Burns fan. I I've seen pretty much every documentary Ken Burns has ever made. And Ken Burns does do it for cheap in the way that it's mostly writing. Um, and there's it's mostly like still images for the most part. So he doesn't have to send out like a lot of camera crews, although obviously in some of his more recent documentaries, like the country music one, he's interviewing literally all, <clears throat> all of the most famous country music stars in the entire world. I mean, getting interviews with like fucking Dolly Parton and Willie Nelson and everybody, right? Um, and so there's a lot more video in there, but his first documentary, Civil War, is mostly like, you know, still still images, uh, obviously because video didn't exist back then. But even then, he has famous actors who are doing the voice work uh, of the characters from letters and stuff like that. So it's expensive. And, you know, in order to do this, we would have to hire camera crews to go film players or teams, which also means that we need the teams and players to agree to give us their time, which is another whole other can of worms, especially if we have a sponsor attached to this that may be in conflict with the team sponsor. So it's hard, man. It's a lot of work. We would love to do it, but it's a lot of work. Uh, how do you focus on studying when it's boring? Uh, discipline. Discipline, my friend. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. <laughs> I mean, I actually think the real hack there is pick a subject that isn't boring to you. Yep. Very good. Very good. Um, are there more ascended and enlightened groups of individuals than the people that go on every post and comments explain this in MBA terms? <laughs> are, are there a bunch of people who say explain this in MBA terms? Is that a famous thing? I'm not so I'm, aware I'm not... of. Oh, oh it's okay. a Reddit thing. Our, Andrew, our producer, says it's a Reddit thing. Fair enough. Um, on the inaugural episode of Banter Give and Go, Thorne made an interesting point about Wilt Chamberlain allowing people's criticisms to get into his head and changing his style accordingly. This made me think of Larson in LEC, who people have sometimes said does the same thing, play non-mage champions just for the sake of showing he can do it. Are there any other esports players who come to mind? Oh, historic ones. The problem is it's hard to find people that actually went completely against their own style like that because usually, if anything, people do the opposite. They just stay too close to their strengths and weaknesses and never gamble outside of it. So I'm trying to think who would even be a good one for that one. Essentially, we're just trying to find someone who, like, people's criticism of them got to them and made them do, like, the other way of playing the game or something. No, because I think usually, nah, I, I don't give a shit on this question. I don't care why I bought. I bought. Uh, abort. <laughs> interesting. Oh. What are some of the funniest di displays of incompetence in esports? I mean, obviously, this is going to be everything to do with the conception of the and formatting of the LCS and international tournaments in League of Legends, as we talked about earlier, 
the idea that the early people were just obsessed with the NFL in a game that is, you know, esports are much more akin in terms of formatting to the NHL and NBA than they are the NFL. And the idea of this buttoned up professional atmosphere that had never existed really in esports previously. And indeed, the most famous examples of English speaking esports was a very casual style of commentary that was developed by Tasteless and Artosis for StarCraft, which was immensely fun and still is, uh, you know, a, a great time. Um, and their insistence on on kind of modeling American sports inexplicably. Uh, these weren't even people who came from the NFL. These were just fans of sports who got jobs at Riot and thought they knew the best thing to do, which then ruined us for many, many years and really stalled out what could have been the potential of League of Legends esports, in my opinion. So really, really rough. I mean, I famously told the story, too, of Riot scheduling the first MSI in Tallahassee because there were a bunch of college kids there only to show up and have the college kids be on vacation. How does that happen? You don't even look at the school schedules. And then you have a half-full stadium. It was wild. Um, I, I mean, there's just too many. Like, CGS, Overwatch League, like, pick. Do you have any ones you want to bring up right now? I mean, obviously, Lena and fucking Doublelift with the Lenovo <laughs> laptop. That's pretty up there. <laughs> Actually, just on record, getting themselves violating conflict of interest in a, in a totally unacceptable way. GamerDoc the person whose job is to be the senior director of performance at EG. If you don't know, I think their t CSGO team is on something like a 13 series losing streak online, which got to be a record for like a tier one type org. You could do way back in the day in 2015, ESL went to the country of Dubai and when they, well, United Arab Emirates, whatever. And when they went there, they planned to have a counter-strike tournament outdoors during the day. And they quickly found out you would be dead and had to run it at night. Like, imagine the, even the logistics of that. Like, you all arrive, and your plan was, like, yeah, so the desert. Let's just go out in that desert at, like, fucking 3 p.m. in the high sun and just play video games. Like, there's a fucking top-notch one. The story we've told in the past, Season 2 Worlds, where a cable just got shredded by the fucking stage, <laughs> and therefore the internet was just out for, like, eight hours intermittently. Like, this is some of the all-time greats. Some of the, some of the most incompetent shit ever has been in eSports. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, any episode of The Four Horsemen, just watch that. There, It will always be incompetence. <laughs> uh, do you have any relationships with Dota talent that could be added to the LFN roster? I usually enjoy listening to Suns Fan and Cinderin's uh, We Say Things podcast, if you're familiar. I'm familiar with that podcast, yeah. Uh, I mean, we do want to expand into other esports. That would certainly be probably of interest to us. Um, the Dota scene is very opaque to me. Uh, I know some of the casters over there. But it's a it's a weird, very niche space. So we'd have to think about what kind of Dota content we think it would be good to create at this point in time and probably wouldn't be the top of our list of new esports we wanted to get involved in. But eventually, I say with growth. Sure. The problem to me is Dota is one of the only spaces in the history of esports that is actively hostile to my type of content and not just because I make it. Like, they really are like the football fans of sports. They are the most knuckle-dragging, cretin moron who thinks their game on a hero in a fucking solo queue game is in any way means that person's an expert. So, like, for example, I made a video years ago. It's only aged like the finest wine now. I made one like four or five years ago, which was like I made a round table of 
of people who are experts about Dota of why is Arteezy never won TI or a major. It was a fucking banger episode. They didn't find that interesting, Monty. Their take was like, but I think he's good to so just stop hating on him. She's like, you know what? I will. I'll just shut it down, shut the laptop down. I'll go to any of my other esports I can be in and I'll go do it there. So you know what? There is no incentive to make content in Dota. I agree. Fuck Dota. It's, it is really hard to justify making content in Dota. It's also, like you say, Thorne, the numbers aren't even there, really. They don't want to watch it, mate. They just don't for some reason. Just yeah. an uninspired generation. Uh, if money slash resource wasn't a constraint, are there types of content you currently don't produce that you'd love to make? Uh, sure. Content where I get yeah. paid $1 million? <laughs> I mean, like we said, we, we want to do long-form documentary content in esports. That would be amazing. Um, I'd love to do general gaming content, obviously. Uh, you know, we the only constraint that we have at LFN is, is money. Like everybody I think has huge willpower and time to put into this thing. You know, Thorne and I are doing a million different podcasts each at this point. Um, I'd love to do more. It's just a matter of how can we, you know, how can we get sponsorship or investors in order to, to help that growth? So yeah, that's it. But it's weird. Um, the side channel slash non-esports stuff is probably the real goal because the dream would be that as your actual job, you get paid to watch the movies you want to rewatch and the yep. sports things you want to... Like, if people don't know, that's actually probably the most overrated part of the media business. You know what I heard years ago? People don't get this. It's the real reason why all those Kotaku journalists are so fucking bad at writing, Monty. It's because they don't want to review video games that are just random flavor of the month games. The joke is they really are someone who wishes they were writing a political article about how right, you know, alt-right politics has changed American landscape of culture, right, Monty? So what they do is they go, well, that's weird because my actual, so, like, actual, like, uh, request from my editor is a review of Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six Two. But I really want to write about this alt-right thing, so wait a minute. And then they just find a way to make the review about that. So in the same way, right, what people don't get is, I'll give you a very quick example. Way back in the day, in the early days of esports, I knew a guy who was a top 1.6 player. And because at the time he couldn't make much money as a pro, even if you were the best in the world, he took a job as a, as a games tester for like a proper, like, I can't remember which one it was, but it was like a famous actual like studio in like Texas or something. And he said it was the biggest mistake he ever did, Monty, because you hear that job and you go, wait a minute, huh, I'm playing video games all day. It's like, no, no, you're bugged testing a video game all day and when you find the bug your job is like replicate it ten thousand times with evidence and then submit that and then try and find another bug you're not playing the game that sounds awesome you're breaking the game so basically what i'm getting to here is the end goal of our free nation essentially is have a giant pile of money to do all the ideas we'd like to do because most of the jobs people have in esports is doing some shit that's the equivalent of breaking the game instead of playing the game so right. we're, we're already in a pretty privileged position but the dream would be eventually like i say we just straight up get paid to what rewatch old movies and talk about rich i mean that'll be the shit I, right i mean if in the long term it's not that i dislike esports but for me I would I would rather in 10 years be doing mostly like the elephant culture content. I would like to do, you know, the cooking streams I was doing, do cooking content. I would like to do general gaming content um, because uh, to your point, though, and unlike a lot of these reviewers that are trying to force, you know, it seems like they want to avoid talking about the video games. I would just really like to talk about the video games. I would really like to do. Uh, shows about video game as video games as art and discuss 
you know, big titles like God of War in the same way that we're discussing movies on on Foreplay or, you know, on, on Nerd Legion. Like, I would like that and just consider them on their own merits, you know, and and do that kind of content. So I think for me, like, that's the the long-term perspective and and where we want this company to go. We will always be involved in esports, guys. Esports is the, the core of Last Free Nation. But, you know, if I look four or five years out, I would like esports to be maybe a third of our viewership and for all of our other content to be hitting much larger markets in culture, sports, um, you know, uh, general gaming, graphic novels, anime, whatever, whatever you have. Right. Um, that's that's the goal. So this is all to say, go subscribe to our sports and culture channels and watch those shows and help it make it a make it a reality. Um. I haven't had the time to watch any league other than single LPL games due to changes in my life right now. So I know little about summer split other than what LFN is relaying to me. So I'd like to ask who'd be the top three LEC players in each role for summer split so far uh, in each role. Oh man. All right. We're going to do this fairly quick. Yeah. This might be a little dirty, guys, because we're going to think about it on the fly. Uh, but we'll see what we can come up with. All right, top lane top is... Blade. Broken Blade. Broken Blade. Uh, um, relevant, maybe. Yep, yep. Broken, what was the third one we're doing for this? It's a little hard because I think... You know, Oscar and Inonoto Omne have both been a bit up and down. Shigenda's been pretty all right, actually. He's been one of the better parts. The problem is, I think if you go for like just raw consistency, you probably take Oduam there. I think Oscar Arnon probably did have some heights that people like. Maybe we do Oscar Arnon. Maybe we can give him I, it. Yeah, he had some really bad int games too, but he has had some pretty impressive performances. The fact he's a rookie is still legit to me, though. Okay. Jungle. Yankos. Yeah. Yankos, Yike, Margoon, probably, because El Yoya's been struggling a little bit. I think that's fair. Yeah, you can give it a give it to Marcoon. Mid lane is probably Caps VTO Larson. Larson. I mean, Abadag has been really good recently, but as far as the entire splits concerned, it's probably Larson. Uh, AD Carry. I, I think mean, you Hansama. have Hansama Noah. Maybe Crowney. Uh. Promise ADC is pretty bad right now. Let's see. Hansama, Noah. I think Patrick is probably this split. Maybe I mean, Crowney's better overall this year, but this split, I think Patrick is probably better. Um, and then support, obviously, Mickey X, who I still think is the overall year-long MVP. Um, Trimby was has been really quite good on Fnatic since moving over. the third over. one's almost impossible, though. How, how do you even pick the third one? You know what I mean? But can't yeah, be Hillasang. At the end, no. I think so. Maybe, maybe it is just fucking. Maybe Labrov it might be limit. It. it might be limit or Labrov. Honestly, just based on the current meta, uh, probably Labrov. I'll go. We'll give it to Labrov. All right, there you go. That's our quick and dirty top three LEC players in every role. Um. Let's go. Uh, what are your thoughts on Frank Herbert's writing in Dune? I've heard a lot of criticism of his prose and style of writing. I think it's fine. I mean, it's not, I don't think he's really, I think a lot of his like metaphysical points are really quite pithy. People complain about that. Have you heard that? What before? I don't get is where, like what's, there's not even a citation there from who? 
for morons. Who cares? Like, <laughs> was it someone famous or someone known? Was there even any criticism we can hear? Like, basically, I, that's one thing I'll never understand. It's actually a rule I have on my Discord server. It's on my Discord server. You're not allowed to talk about things you heard about because no one gives a shit what you heard. Like, what you can do is this. You either talk about what you've done or you reference, like, in this case, if you said, like, give a random example. If you said like Kurt Vonnegut said his writing wasn't very good, it was a bit terse as well. That'd be interesting because I know Kurt Vonnegut's style. Like to me, that means nothing. Yeah. Like I don't really care. Spoiler. If you haven't noticed, things I think are brilliant. Everyone else says his shit. Like every moron says, just don't even go past the first book. But don't even bother with the first book in your case by the sounds of it. Uh, all right. Insane overreaction to the Wimbledon final, but do you think it's likely that Carlos Alcaraz ends his at the end of his career, will end up winning 20-plus slams like the GOATs. That's how I say it, right, Alcaraz? Uh, Is that how I pronounce I think it? so, yeah. Okay. Seeing as Alcaraz probably doesn't have to compete against players as good as the big four in his career. That's not how it works. Basically, the problem is this. One, it's extremely unlikely he will win 20 grand slams. Only three people have ever done it. And then two, I actually think it's the opposite to how people think it is. Fans really believe that shit of like, oh, you know, fucking, if Jadong didn't exist, Flash would have like 10 titles. I think he might actually have less than he has now. The thing about really great, truly like transcendent peers that push you like some anime is they push you. You don't just go, right, I've won three titles in a row. No one can beat me. I'm losing motivation. You never do because your mega rival is always pushing you to the next level. So basically, I actually think those three players existing at the same time is why they all got that many grandstands because it meant that you could never have a year off. You could never have a time when you were just like, ah, I'm letting it go. But you're, you're constantly having a just red line at the whole time. It's why at the end of their careers, Nadal and Federer used to just tactically skip certain grandstands if they like weren't in great form at the one that's not the best surface or they're injury prone. They would just try and peek at the one that they could win. So the, the problem is this guy actually would probably Fuck him if he's got no competition. If you've got no competition, most people... I don't, people will never get this, Monty. They think that because like elite athletes are a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of a tiny fraction of a tiny fraction, they don't get that even among them, you have the uber alpha Kobe Bryant type guy who practices forever. And then there might be like the second best player in the world might be a guy who doesn't practice that much. So I would say the main issue is more mentality. I think it's very, very rare you get the mentality that will keep grinding for 20 years. So I would guess no. I think it's very unlikely he'll get that many. What are some of your underrated superhero comic books? So I am not a big superhero comic book fan. So a lot of uh, the ones that I've enjoyed about superheroes have, well, either they're, they're looking at superheroes through a different lens. So it'd be like Watchmen or Miracle Man by, you know, Alan Moore or it would be stuff you've given to me, Thor, and like the I really enjoyed Red Sun, the the short the short series uh, about Superman being having landed in the Soviet Union instead of America. Do you have favorites? I mean, I actually have a video I'm going to do like this on my side channel, so I'll just give you a couple. So what I'll do is I'll tell you, I'll give you some quite obscure ones. In the same way as I often recommend European comics, because they don't have the same laws on what you could tell the stories about, there's a series by someone called Brian Talbot, who's a sci-fi writer, called The Adventures of Luther Arkwright from the 80s. And essentially, it's like if you had like a hyper-violent, like, sci-fi James Bond that can just travel throughout, like, time and space. And, like, it, essentially, it's like a mixture of, like not quite steampunk, but like there's some sort of like more aristocratic elements mixed with like Blade Runner-esque elements as it were. So that's like a pretty out there one for an old school angle people can go for. Then I'll give you the opposite. I'll give you what's basically like just pulpy 
just TV channel type stuff, which is if you like Garth Ennis, the guy who did Preacher and Lords of Those, he did a series called Hitman in the 90s, which was a character where it's this guy where basically you'd have to see it. He's got, he got bit by like an alien. He has some like superpowers of his own. And basically the style of it though, he is just like a sort of like a, almost like a mafia type guy from like Chicago or something. It's just a quite, quite well done humorous aspects. So people don't know Garth Ennis doesn't like superhero comics. So it's like within the DC universe, but he's doing his own take on it. And I'll give you one more, which is I'll give you, um, since most people have already heard me recommend like the famous Jodorowsky ones, there's a really obscure one, but the problem is I will warn you, it is really dark. Like it's incredibly transgressive. It's called Borgia and it's about the Borgia Popes. And basically it's like, like I say, it's full on. It's like, there's like, all transgressive aspects. I mean, you could imagine the boards of popes were popes were pretty full on, just as people. So. That's three. That's the ones you never heard of before. Um, do you agree with the lengths Riot is going to to curve toxicity? Dota basically just has a prisoner island system for toxicity that barely barely works, and it seems to ju do just fine. I mean, Riot is definitely trying to play. Uh, now, I will say this is how I understand the Dota. I am not a Dota player. This is how I understand the Dota system to work. So I could be wrong on this. But basically, like when you get nailed for toxicity, you actually have they, they have a system where you have to uh, like work with your teammates in order to escape the prisoner queue, basically. <laughs> um, and I think that's a very interesting system to try and like force correct people's behavior. And I, I do kind of wish that that was in League of Legends, where you just trap all these people on Prisoner Island together and then kind of force them to get along in order to escape. Because, I mean, right now, just the level of trolling in, in League of Legends and solo queue is just insane. So I, whatever Riot's doing, I don't think is working very much. Um, and I think it's the Dota system's funnier. <laughs> I think the Dota system's just funnier. Um, what are your favorite or who are your favorite jazz artists slash albums, if applicable? I don't like jazz as a genre, so I'm not gonna take any. <laughs> okay. I like like uh, like hybrid ones, like acid jazz or something like that, but it's not really jazz in the way this guy means. I mean, I first off, go watch Ken Burns jazz documentary, uh, to the point here. I I really enjoy jazz. Um classic jazz, like I'm not like smooth jazz modern shit. Um, but you know, the the old, you know, 50s, 40s, 50s, 60s area of jazz. Like, I like Charlie Parker a lot. Um, I mentioned last time one of my favorite albums of all time um, is John Coltrane and Johnny Hartman. Uh, still true. I love the jazz vocal uh, uh, repertoire, repertoire. So, you know, I like Etta James, you know, um, you know, Louis Armstrong. There's tons of of great. I like, you know, old big band style content. I even like modern. I mean, I like Big Bad Voodoo Daddy as, as modern kind of big band and swing content. So there's a whole lot out there, guys. There's a whole lot out there. Um, what is your preferred approach to catch up mechanics for esports games? I think you both mentioned how you don't like the concept of objective bounties and how it punishes good play. However, you've also mentioned how games can be decided really early, and one of the jobs of casters is to fill dead time in games that are decided early, and teams are just going to go through the motions of closing out the, closing out the game. Seems like a complicated issue to address, not even factoring solo queue slash casual play. Uh, specifically for League, if you had full control, what would you change? I mean, I would revert a bunch of the the crazy, you know, lane swap things that they decided to do so that the pro game was more interesting again, even if it doesn't resemble solo queue play at all. Um, 
And probably at this point in time, <clears throat> you need to do something about the the Herald and Dragons. Like it's because the game is becoming too static where it's like, <clears throat> I mean, League of Legends in a nutshell is basically this, like, can you get an advantage in one of your lanes that you can then repeatedly punish and snowball? So like, can you get a flash out of their AD carry and then just kill that AD carry multiple times in lane and try and snowball off that advantage? Uh, can you like, then it becomes down to everybody groups for team fights at 20 minutes into the game around dragon or Baron. And can you in between dragon spawns fight in the neutral in a way that eliminates summoner spells and ultimates so that you have an advantage at the apocalyptic fight that happens. And there is some level of split pushing. There's some level of cross mapping, but at the end of the day, giving up soul or Baron is such a disaster and basically makes the game unwinnable that what do you do? So I, I would say like lower the power of, of dragon souls would probably be a good one to avoid some of these and make it so alternate strategies are available to people. Problem is I just really hate all combat mechanics. So I don't even care even if it's immature answer. I just don't want any of them to exist. There you go. Top shit. <laughs> I come from Quake, mate. You just have to be better. Just be better. There you go. <laughs> Uh, last episode, Freud was briefly brought into discussion. Curious of your favorite Freud book, if either of you have one. My personal favorite is Civilization and Discontents. Man, I have not read Freud since college. So I do not have a favorite Freud book. Um, I did do work, uh, do some research with psychoanalysis, but I don't particularly remember having a favorite at the time. Uh, it's, been, it's been a while. Do you care about Freud at all? I've read a Freud book in my life, man. There you go. Travis Gafford uploaded a video titled, Should I Cover Valorant? It was a laugh, guys. Uh, covering multiple games throughout your careers, do you have any advice for our favorite jellyfish? I mean, the crazy thing to me is either do it as a pro because it's a game that you think is good for your career or do it because you like the game. It's not really that. Like, I mean, he's obviously doing it to farm people saying, yes, but like, it's not really like them tell you yes helps you or not. If you like it, do it. If you think it's good for your career, do it to be a pro. It's easy. Problems. I mean, he released this video basically bemoaning the fact that his channel's views were down obviously because of the disappointment of the LCS and the fact that Worlds is not going to be in, you know, North America. And clearly everybody's having issues with sponsors in esports, us included, like, you know, in a normal market, LFN with the numbers we, we have would, would be, would have even more sponsors than we got. We are fortunate in that we are one of the few esports entities that is actually getting new sponsors right now. So I think it's a, you know, a testament to the strength of our content and also to our audience uh, who supports those sponsors. So thank you very much. But the issue with Travis is like, my, my fundamental view of his content is that all he does is let other people make his content for him. You know, he says on the channel, like, I can't do the blame game anymore on my channel because we don't have money to, play, to pay Mark Z. So Mark Z, he was paying Mark Z. His entire content is interviewing people where other people provide the answers. And I wouldn't say his questions are particularly insightful. Uh, some of his best performing content is simply doing scheduled interviews with riot executives in which they are able to tell him to re-record the entire interview. So he's basically just a PR mouthpiece for riots, esports uh, team. 
never asks any of the really difficult questions or holds them accountable in any kind of meaningful way. A lot of his content is these quizzes of players where, again, it's about the players making the content. His podcast is a show where other people call in to provide the content. And now he's asking, should I go? By the way, Valorant doesn't run year round, guys, in Los Angeles. Like, it's pretty, it's been a pretty short season. Like, they're on and then they're off for several weeks. They go to Tokyo, do an international event. So the question is, Travis, on the two day, remember, there's no overlap between LCS. Is it possible for you some weeks to go to the exact same studio where you have press credentials and a relationship with Riot already, sit in the same press room and do interviews five days a week, like a normal fucking work week for people? Can you do that some weeks of the year? Not every week, not 52 weeks a year. Can you do five days of work interviewing players maybe 10 weeks a year? Can you do it? Like, why isn't he already doing it? It's so free. It's the freest content of all time. I don't get it. I mean, just why- in general, like this can expand to more than just Travis. I just generally find it whack where people's whole thing like, oh, I need to pivot my career. Then have you tried doing everything? No, I've just wondered why I should do it. You f- how about just hustling? I'll do some work. I mean, yeah, exactly. And also, it, it, this, the thing with Travis is the same thing we were talking about with Riot. They just assumed the LCS good times would continue to roll forever. And they had no plan for what, what happens if the money suddenly goes away. Even though they knew it wasn't sustainable. Even though they knew. Like, Riot, Riot has the... Um, I mean, both Riot and Travis had the in- information. Travis is the one who releases the team's salaries. We know the team stipend from Riot in terms of revenue sharing is $2 million a year, plus whatever they get from additional sponsorships. Now, your question is, was Team Liquid last year spending $7 million on their League of Legends roster? Because Travis knows the number. Riot knows the number. They know the numbers that are given out to the teams. Just ask yourself, is this a sustainable situation that can continue to the end of time? The answer is no. Find a different, like, find an alternative plan. Fucking crazy. Uh, question for Thorin. Has Ziwu done enough to be considered the greatest French CSGO player, or is Kenny S or Shock still the best, in your opinion? I think it's debatable, because the key thing is, he's done enough in terms of longevity. He's had an amazing career. It's just the difference is, one thing that people didn't notice, mainly because we only got the lands back like a year and a half ago, is they actually didn't have that many really deep runs at the biggest tournaments. Like, there was a lot of times they just team went out in the group stage or the quarterfinals. Like, this was the first time ever Zee won a playoff series in a major. So, the key thing is, I think people who didn't watch the careers of Shocks and Kenny S, especially Kenny S, just won't realize how good these guys were so long. So, I'd say he probably edges it now, but maybe if you want accomplishments, he has to do a little bit more there. I don't count just off accomplishments, personally. There you go. Any other players with a career path similar to 369 started inconsistent, then became a rock for the team? I mean, the obvious top lane comparison is Smeb, who is literally the worst top laner within LCK and became the best and arguably the greatest player of all time at his position in League, right? Um, Any other players that started being like super up and down and then became incredibly consistent? I mean, the jokers, you could argue, Jackie Love's done that. He used to be one of the most crazy inters. Now he's just fucking really good, mate. He's just really good game to game to game to game. Now he almost never ints now. I mean, he's having a great run in these playoffs, that's for sure. 
Uh, what is your worst way to win in sports and esports? James Harden's style of blatant traveling and going exclusively for fouls, or when racing drivers just demolish their rivals, are two examples of what I found to be bad ways to win. I don't know if there's a word. I mean, it would depend on the esport as to what the worst way to win is. I mean, in theory, the joke is it's what like the Falcons didn't do against the Patriots. It's when in American football you can't <laughs> run the clock forever with timeouts yeah. and kneel downs and and like if you've never seen it happen because it's only people like Bill Belichick ever actually like religiously do it. it you can absolutely ruin a game doing that. Like you, it, it, you can see why it works. Like it actually does just suck the life out of the game. Like that is what that along with like penalty shootout in football is probably the worst way to end any game I've ever seen. I mean, I would honestly say that the worst most horrific team in league of legends i've ever seen that that was consistently winning but was super boring was the old skts with easy hoon where he would just play zigs every game and they would stall out the game forever with infinite wave clear i mean a lot of those infinite wave clear teams in the earlier days of league of legends were just terrible to watch really terrible what is your favorite esports version of rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic? I mean, we talk, I talk about this story very specifically in the, the Four Horsemen episode that we just did on the Overwatch League. But the fact that late into 2019, despite everything that had happened into the league at that point in time, they were still planning on going through with the five, like five homestands per team per year when it was very clear that there wasn't going to be the, like there was a sustainable way to do things. And then there was the way with like a hundred homestands across all the teams that was not going to be in any way, shape or form sustainable. Overwatch league was saved by the pandemic. Truly. Like the, the amount of work that was going in to figure out that schedule and the amount of resources blizzard was wasting when it was absolutely 100% clear that if they did that, the Titanic was going to hit the iceberg was insane. It was insane. So, you know, the pandemic did Overwatch League a massive favor, favor because it would have been a spectacular failure. Um, even more, I should say, even more spectacular failure. Like, five times as spectacular a failure. Like to uh, me, I would was... just say, if you know any of the really big projects where people make like a media website or a league or something, the maddest thing is, it's not that at the very end, everything goes to shit and then it just busts, right? It's like right up until the very end, they're always still doing insane shit, like adding more executives on six-figure salaries. And it's like, the like I, I'll give you the example, Monty. Way back in the day when I did physics at school, the guy who did physics used to do those experiments that obviously have been done in like biology where, you know, you make like an ecosystem and you have like some vegetation to keep the insect alive and you have to like get, keep the CO2 and the oxygen levels enough that like it can self-sustain itself, right? The analogy would be in esports, they have these companies that essentially have cancers within them, eating them alive, and they're adding more cancers right up until the moment they're completely overwhelmed and the whole company dies. Like there's never any like taper off. They never like figure it out halfway and start fixing it. It just eventually becomes organizational bloat. And like I alluded to with the G4s of the world and the upcomers of the world if you guys only knew how much money they waste on the people who never appear on camera and never do anything that you're aware of tangibly that's like where the lion's share of the fucking vc is pissed away and all these companies so i would say that's pretty insane to me like that that angle never ends like it's why i get that angle that i told you was so funny to me about the gamer doc woman when i made that video that it's not just that she's a grifter 
She herself calls everyone who isn't a grifter like her a grifter. Like, it's like, for real, <laughs> these people, you know they're so contemptuous of esports that they don't just think they're even nicking money. They think everyone sucks. So they think it's just logical they should get their be beak wet, as it were. So I'm just amazed how much of that still goes on to this day. Like, so essentially, one bad entity gets into one of these orgs and they just recruit other ones and eventually take the body snatchers, mate. By the end, it's just way too late. You can never fix it at the end. Well, it's also, I think, in the like the G four slash upcomers slash, you know, Ven train wrecks. One of the main problems was that the they didn't want to build it piece by piece slowly from a solid foundation. They think if they put this shiny thing out there with so much money behind it and invest, you know, crazy amounts of money, that the audience will just suddenly show up, even though that's not the way content works anymore. Like. You don't have, you know, G4 didn't have a hold on their audience because everybody only had TV and it was the only thing about video games on TV. There's literally an infinite amount of video game content out there right now and nobody cares that it's super polished or not, right? So why not Why not just slowly, iteratively build it and figure out what works with your audience rather than just attempting to launch this hugely shiny and expensive thing that is destined to fail? Because you just don't have enough time for it to catch on. You burned the money. It cracked me the fuck up with some of the media figures in the esports industry who were saying, like, do players really need to make this much of the LCS? It's like, bro, can I have a conversation about your salary from a VC company that was paid for nothing? You've no foot in the door. There's nothing to be built from that. You're now just gone with the money. Like, nothing. That's a fucking waste of money, mate. The other guy, there was like asset value. You can build off that. You can get sponsorships. Like, some of y'all are just frauds. The joke in esports is some of the grifters don't even know they're a grifter. They're so incompetent. They don't know their whole job is a grifter. <laughs> Too many people. Who is the who is the Judas of League of Legends? And is Link a good shout out for selling Monty out, a literal Christ figure? <laughs> and it's, I mean, it's it's funny because Cristo, obviously, you know, Cristo means Christ in Italian. Like Monte Cristo literally means Christ Mountain. It's the name. It's the Italian name of an island, right? Um, no, Link, Link didn't sell me out, guys. Like, don't don't demonize Link like that. He was he was just an emo little kid. You, you know what I mean? He was dismissive. <laughs> <laughs> who's the judas of league of legends who sold it out i mean riot obviously riot is the judas in this situation they took this thing that was you know pure and fun and then completely sold it out and killed it i mean to <laughs> I me know. after all the danny shit there's a lot of judases mate there's a lot of people sure. who supposedly were all important and thought cared about this that and the other can't say a fucking word by the way think how fucked in the head you have to be that you can't even just say this statement i think what happened to danny was unacceptable and can't be allowed to happen again just leave it at that not even you haven't named a name you're no no but even that is not allowed that shows you what a sick fucking industry we live in yep yeah i mean all the people who we're around that situation. Apparently, it's impossible to say anything. Crazy. Uh, if Faker were to retire from professional player from esports in general, who would you market the T1 brand around? Would you pick someone from the current T1 roster to become the next figurehead of the org, or would you try and bring in an established star player? I think it just depends on what your options were. Like, if you could, if you, if you lost Faker but got Rookie, like, I mean, clearly you build it around Rookie. If you have to pick a current player, Gumiyushi is you know, very cocky, you know, fun personality that you could do a lot with, I think, in terms of building brand. Uh, if anything, though, T1 has been very successful about building the brand around all the players at this point in time. Now, do I like the way they've done that with the K-pop styling and like their weird ass fan cult? Not particularly, but they have done a, a good job of 
accomplishing that goal. I mean, to me, that's why getting Scout would have been perfect. So he can even do the whole prodigal son angle, can't you? And then he comes back. Now he plays for you when he's already won Worlds. So I think that would just be a slam dunk, wouldn't it? Sure. There's a favorite age-old Thorin question of mine. If aliens were to come to this world, yes, the, the classic from back in the day. Uh, in the light of cosmic horrors and player games of suggestion, player of games suggestions, I don't know what that means. That what was the would book you that your... asked about the culture series oh, last week. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What would be your favorite alien race slash sci-fi race to see come and play League of Legends against us? A team of Vulcans, a team of the things, a team of culture gamers, etc. What would their style of, of league look like and assemble a team of humans that could possibly save our lives? I mean, the obvious angle is it should be the Telaxu because they could just make goalers of all the great players in esports history, couldn't they? Could have You could actually have a team with Faker <laughs> and Flash and Jay Dong and all, Boxer and all the greatest minds ever could all be on one team in their prime. And then you shit. have the real players play against them. There you go. That would be fun as fuck. That's a good one. Uh, what is your opinion on the Shawshank Redemption being considered a favorite movie slash the best movie of all time to a lot of people on the internet? That's just a normie take because you have to realize yeah. if you're just like a normie, it's obviously it's the best fine. ending ever for a movie. You're like, oh my God. But, but it's like, it's, it's cheesy it's as a, fuck. It's guys. at the point now where it's a little bit over it. It is a really good movie, but it's a little bit over it. Now. Yeah. Well, I, I, that's my take. Is it a good movie? Yes. Is it super cheesy? Yes, it is. I mean, there's not like a significant amount of subtlety in that movie. I agree. It's it's a normie take. It's it's like the least. Uh, it's like the least challenging, least offensive, good movie that everybody can agree on is a good movie. But it is also crazy overrated. Uh, do you enjoy visiting museums slash historical sites? If so, are there any specific ones that you would recommend that are worth seeing? Do you, Not really. Do you have any style? Okay. Um, I love museums. Museums are among my favorite places ever. Uh, historical sites I love going to as well. <clears throat> you know, I'm, I'm one of those people who will spend 12 hours straight just reading things in museums and walking around. Uh, as far as, I mean, I, I've been to so many in my life, it's kind of hard to you know, pare them down. Basically, anytime I visit a country, I spend a lot of time in various museums. So let me think of some more you niche really ones. Go wrong with the British one, can you? That's got all a British museum is fucking insane. Like, obviously, it's great. Um, you know, the Elgin marbles are just so important historically. The Rosetta Stones there. I mean, it's it is the British Museum is wonderful, wonderful, wonderful place. I go there anytime I'm in London. Um, low key though, Victoria and Albert Museum, very underrated in London as uh, often has some super interesting exhibitions. So uh, let me give you some like kind of niche ones that you may not be aware of if you uh, visit various countries. Um, so in New York, uh, there is a, there is a museum of Himalayan art called the Rubin R U B I N, which is one of my favorite museums. Uh, they were the first place to exhibit Jung's original copy of the Red Book. And for those of you who don't know, the Red Book, if you're into Carl Jung, was basically his personal, I would say, journal. It's not really a journal, though. It's written entirely in Latin that he did in calligraphy. It was an exploration of his own psychology through text and drawing uh, mandalas and a bunch of other stuff that then later informed his framework of psychology in which he wrote, you know, his major works. And it was a very, pro it's very personal. 
And so it was a private piece held by the Jung family for a long time that nobody got to see except specific scholars. And then eventually um, the Rubin put it on display and they released a copy that anybody could buy of the Red Book. It is a fascinating, fascinating book. Um, so they they also do a lot of stuff in terms of kind of Himalayan adjacent art, because clearly like Jung, Jung was highly, highly influenced by mandalas and Buddhism, you know, these kind of practices. So they do they've done a lot of really interesting stuff. That's a very kind of niche museum in New York City. Um, shout out in Los Angeles to the Museum of Jurassic Technology, which is a satire museum that is very funny and very clever. So it's basically a, a museum about fake things presented in a serious manner. It is wonderful. Uh, in Dublin, this is a very strange one. You would not expect this to be there. There is a museum called the Chester Beatty Library, which is one of the great museums in the entire world for religious texts. So they have a bunch of absolute masterpieces of um, Islamic calligraphy, uh, Buddhist texts, early copies of the Christian scriptures. Um, just this guy just created one of the most wonderful uh, religious manuscript collections in the world. Um, and that you would not expect it to be in Dublin, but it was just this very rich Irish guy uh, who who makes this, who who does this kind of stuff. Uh, what other, man, what other museums are there um, that are super informative? Uh, if you want something that's obviously really, you know, a very sobering and visceral experience. Uh, when I was in Cambodia, I went to Tool Slang, which is the museum around the Cambodian genocide that is inside the building where they did a bunch of the um, torture uh, for the Khmer Rouge and Phnom Penh. Uh, it is not a fun experience, but it is incredibly well done in terms of the way the information is presented uh, in English, particularly, it's it's very, very good. It's a very, very like good, uh, you know, introduction to what happened there. Um, so, yeah, that was uh, those are those are some I mean, there's tons. I've been to tons, but those are some more niche ones that you guys might not be aware of. What are some great esports rivalries that are underrated or underplayed by broadcasts, either current or old rivalries? I don't know. I feel like most of the rivalries are pretty well documented by esports. No, but I know what he means. Like the problem is, there's, there's always in the same way as like the obvious example would be like KT versus T1. It means that there's always one that gets a bit underplayed. Like people probably do forget now that it was actually Rocks Tigers versus T1 for years, not KT. You know, like there was down years in that sense. Obviously, people know like Fnatic G2, but like let me think, what else would there be? That's a tough one, actually. What would be some more? If, if anything, I think I think esports rivalries are kind of, you know, overplayed a lot of the time. Because the problem is, is like when a team when teams literally have entirely different groups of players. I mean, I hate this in traditional sports as well. It's not really the same rivalry. Like, for example, the reasons why the Avalanche Red Wings rivalry was so fucking great in the late '90s and early 2000s. I mean, I don't care about that rivalry now because none of the players and storylines exist any longer, right? It was interesting at the time, 
But I do think that, especially in esports, because players and teams have such a high churn and a very short career time for the most part. That's why it's so remarkable to have players like Rookie and Deft and Faker that have you know been around for 10 years. It's very hard to build up authentic rivalries, right? Uh, all right, let's go. Much lazy, so yeah, it's all good. Uh, do you think if there was a shorter gap between LPL playoffs and Worlds that LPL would dominate Worlds harder? I don't know. It just depends on how much they... It, it really just depends on how much they change patches between LPL playoffs and Worlds. Like, if they if the patches aren't super huge, then maybe. If there are a lot of, you know... If if the if the, between playoffs and Worlds, the patches don't change that much and the meta remains the same, I doubt it matters. Um, if there are like a variety of patches that massively change the meta and a bunch of these teams are practicing, you know, have players practicing for the Asian games or not able to get the good practice in, um, then perhaps it will matter. It's a, I don't know. It is a long time though. I mean, they're done. The LPL is done in basically by early August, whereas the rest of the teams are playing for another two or three weeks um, and then LEC for even longer. So it depends on how they use the time, really. There's no way to know. Uh, what are your casual, your go-to casual dining restaurants? Chipotle, Cava, Chick-fil-A, Moby Dick, etc. You have any favorites, Thorin? I mean, I, I, I often like to eat keto, so I'm a big fan of Nando's and that type of Portuguese-style, like, roasted chicken with the peri-peri yeah, sauce. People don't know peri-peri sauce is really good for, like, low carbs. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of that in general. You can get them in almost every country, basically. Yeah, I think in the, in the States... Um, you know, I, I do enjoy Chipotle from time to time. The problem with Chipotle is like if you live in most parts of America, you're always close to better Mexican food. Um, so I generally like would rather eat from taco trucks in L.A., which I do relatively frequently or other like small hole in the wall Mexican places. Uh, Chick-fil-A is great. I do have that from time to time. I would say of the standard burger places, I probably eat it like Wendy's or. You know, five guys, probably the, those are the ones I, or Shake Shack, those are the ones I prefer the most. In and out, mad overrated. Um, I don't eat a lot of that food though. Uh, there's also very like good, healthy alternatives, at least in California. So places like Tender Greens, I enjoy. I do like Nando's quite a bit as, as kind of a more healthy, kind of casual dining experience. Uh, most entertaining possible batches for EU versus NA for the fourth world spot. I, mean, if you just I would like to see Mad Lions there. Yeah, yeah, that could be good. I would say the one the obvious one is just have BDS there because it's Adam versus whoever. Adam versus <laughs> really? anyone's comedy. Well, what about Evie versus anybody? I feel like I don't think they can be really fall for as a problem. I don't think they're good enough to do it. That's fair. Uh, from the LCS side, ooh. I mean, TSM's fun. What's well, not to sure. like? The upside's pretty interesting. EG. E or Team Liquid also could be in that spot. I mean, Adam versus Summit would be pretty hype. I think that would be the funniest. Be <laughs> I'd like to see that one. I'd like to see that one. Um, uh, rank your favorite cu cuisines from the given list with a small explanation of why you put each in their place. Italian, Indian, Korean, British, Mexican, and French. I really copy it to you, Thorns. <laughs> you can yeah. actually see this. So we'll rank them. <laughs> All right, there you go. Mm. 
Okay, so I think mine is Mexican number one. I'm a huge fan of it just in general, any kind of grilled meats with chili is excellent. And I love corn tortillas and I love the flavors of Mexican cuisine. I, I make a lot of Mexican food from, you know, sauces and salsas from scratch. Uh, I, I fucking adore Mexican food. So I think I would take Mexican number one, probably Korean number two. Korea, Korean and Mexican food are very similar. That's why there's a lot of crossover in terms of Korean and Mexican fusion, because at their core, it's like a grilled marinated meat plus spicy stuff plus a carb. And in Korean's case, it's uh, it's rice, right? Um, but obviously, like fucking kimchi quesadillas are delicious. Bulgogi tacos are delicious. Like they go together very nicely. I would say probably Italian third. I mean, fresh pasta. How do you fucking beat that? That's just great. British, here's, I know Thorin ranks British like very highly. British comfort food's fucking amazing, man. Like beef wellington, roast, um, even fish and chips and like all of that stuff could be very, very good. I will say, and then I probably take French fifth. I do enjoy the techniques of French cooking, but I'm kind of less about whole roasted chickens and a bunch of the other stuff that French cuisine typically does. Um, I recognize that it's technically very difficult and I appreciate the art of it. It's just not my personal favorite. And then I would say Indian for me is lowest on this list, but I have also never been to India and had, I think really, I mean, I've been to very good Indian restaurants, um, but it is not my personal favorite and I've never been to India. So maybe I'm just missing out would be my, my final. What, how would you rank this? I mean, the real problem here is when they say cuisine, like, I don't have to have the whole cuisine be really good. Like, I'm going to do number one Indian just because I actually think the flaw on Indian food in countries where it's good, like the UK and Netherlands, is pretty good. Like, essentially, I could eat that sure. every week easily. Like, there's, there's just such a good range, spicy stuff, simpler stuff, like even the masalas are just delicious. Naan breads, it's all good. I would do Korean second, but I'm not actually someone who eats loads of Korean food. Just I can just eat Korean barbecue, Korean chicken, that sort of thing. People don't know that what I'm saddest about, you can't get it is the... Fucking Jim Dak. I mean, that's mega. It's like braised yep. slash roast chicken with their fucking glass noodles. Really delicious. Yep. So Koreans up there. And I'm British third, just because, again, it's go-to. It's for everyday food. Who doesn't like shepherd's pie, stuff like that? Italian, I'll put fourth. I do think pasta's quite nice. I'm just not a huge fan of it. I'm going to put French fifth because it's basically just steaks and stuff. It's still pretty good. I just think that it's a bit overrated. I'm not a fan of, like, eight-course meals. I'm putting Mexican last because it's not a fan. It's not masculine. <laughs> well, I mean, you you don't like cheese, which is like a struggle, I think. With Mexican in general, I'm in not that big a fan when things are between two states, and there are a lot of Mexican foods a bit sloppy. So I'm not that big a fan <laughs> in general. Yeah, I I it's funny that you and I have like the the first and last reversed. I do like all of the, those foods, though. Like, I it's not that I don't like Indian food. It's just I would probably choose many other things on average before picking Indian food. But I agree with your assessment that the you know, the floor on Indian food is pretty damn high. It's pretty damn high. Um, I also, here's another interesting take. I actually prefer Himalayan food to Indian food. Like I get way more psyched about Nef Nepali and Tibetan food than I do about Indian food in general. They're similar cuisines, but I like uh, some of the, you know, like yak skewers, like, and the chilies from, from Nepali food. And I love uh, momos, which are Tibetan dumplings. So I actually get way more hyped for for that kind of food than I do for Indian food. Also, Thai food wasn't in there, and Thai food would be way up there for me as well. 
Uh, do either of you have a significant movie that influenced you to expand your movie tastes or enjoy a new genre that you had previously dismissed? Hmm. I mean, I think that's usually how it happens, isn't it? You just find a movie. What I always say is it's a bit like music. Sometimes you think, oh, I should be into that artist, but you can never get into it. But then you hear the right song at the right time and it keys all the rest of it. And suddenly you just get it. So loads, loads of movies like that. Like basically, I didn't know very much at all about movies in Hong Kong till I saw like a one car Y movie. And like some of them are fucking mega and opened up the whole world of actors and people do similar projects. So yeah, there's loads of movies. I'm trying to think of one recently for me. I would say I've never been a, a massive kind of normal horror fan, but one, uh, I think seeing Hereditary, so Ari Aster's movie, you know, within the last few years, really, that one did it for me in a really big way, and I think that movie just is fucking amazing, and it, I think it introduced a new appreciation of, of the horror, kind of the more traditional horror genre for me. Uh, da, 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 da. I, 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 there's okay. I don't know what this question is, so I'm going to skip it. Um, uh, what are your three favorite single player video games of all time? Story driven slash narratives in games. I feel like we've answered this before, but we can do it again. Uh, do you have any narrative games that you've enjoyed, Thorn? I mean, I think Metal Gear Solid's pretty fucking good. The first Metal Gear Solid. Deus Ex. That's another great one. Yep. Uh, I mean, I like the first Fallout games, the first two. The one where it's oh, like Fallout FPS is huge. Those are great yeah. stories, yeah. Um, I really hate the new Fallout games. <laughs> uh, what, I mean, look, single-player games, ooh, it's, it's probably Witcher 3 for me, Planescape Torment. It depends on what you're looking for. Like Planescape Torment probably is the greatest narrative game ever made. Um, the, I, I love, I love the Witcher three. Uh, I think it's another excellent narrative game that has really fun gameplay. Uh, I would say it's hard to narrow it down to three. I really liked the, not God of War Ragnarok, but the previous God of War Ragnarok was good, but it wasn't as good as the, the first of the new God of War games in terms of narrative. So I really enjoyed that one. Deus Ex, the original Deus Ex is super good. Um, yeah, those would be among my favorites, but also, you know, what remains of Edith Finch, hugely good magical realism, you know, narrative Pretty game, recent, right? Yeah. Very recent. Um, it really depends on what you're looking for, guys. Like, I have a lot of answers to this question. Uh, I mean, I love the narrative. Uh, I love the narrative experience of um, holy shit. I'm I'm blanking on. Uh, wow, I can't believe I'm blanking on this name. Hold on. What Monkey Island? No, no. I mean, Monkey Island's great. First, I mean, I like the old like uh, Sam and Max games as well. I mean, there's so many good old school adventure I mean, games. The whole point is those point and click average. All there is is the puzzles. Oh yeah. There. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I low-key yeah, love, like, in, in Day of the Tentacle, Indiana Jones, and the Fate of Atlantis, like, all those old LucasArts games. Um, Bioshock Infinite. Um, I wasn't a, as big of a fan of the original Bioshock, because I think it's a trope that's been kind of played out, but Bioshock Infinite, I thought, was extremely creative in the world building. Um, really great. Really great. Um, uh, last question. If Thorin is esports, what is Monty? <laughs> Rotating head? <laughs> or some of the other legendary figures in the scene, like Shocks could be esports queen, etc. I, I don't know what I would be, man. 
just the, the the macro guy, I guess. Esports elitist. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. All right, guys. Last question. Uh, that was it. So thank you very much for watching. Uh, we'll be back with more playoff action here next week on Summoning Insight. See you then.